Alright everybody, welcome back to We Want More, the Harry Potter and Methods of Rationality Analysis Podcast. And if anyone's wondering, that is a mouthful to say. Um, <laughs> that's, that's, so, I'm glad you're the one that does it. Yeah, I'll make you do it next time. Nope. Yeah, we don't have a whole <laughs> lot to, to open up with as far as pre-note stuff. Um, I do want to uh, mention again, I can't remember if I mentioned this on the podcast last week or not. I know that, oh, here we, here's, I think if I remember correctly. Well, first off, we're delayed from our last recordings, so... It's more than a week out, and who can remember 10 days ago? So Exactly. Uh, I mentioned Game Club, the new Doofcast coming out. Um, or Doof Media Podcast, I guess. it's not. There's already a podcast called Doofcast. And I said they were doing Hollow Knight, and so I bought it, and I've been playing the hell out of it. It's great. That's good. The first episode of Game Club doesn't have an air date yet, but it's sometime as of the time of this release, sometime next week. So How long did it take you to out. finish it? Uh, I really took my time poking around through everything and then still didn't find most things or like a lot of stuff but mm-hmm. it said my completion percentage was 87 percent, and it took me 36 nice. hours and 30 seconds to beat <laughs> that said i think it could probably be beaten and i mean i think speedrunners do it in four hours but i think if that if you were not dawdling you could do it in 20 um hmm. but it's a game where dawdling is fun it, yeah i don't know I, but this isn't game club this is methods of rationality so I'll leave the analysis to the pros. I'll just say it was fun, and it's twenty bucks, and you should buy it. I think it's available on every platform. So, but this is the podcast of tangents, so yeah, that was now required. That now that we've gotten that out of the way, first of twenty. <laughs> we'll see if we can keep it down to ten. I'll try and rein myself in tonight. So, let's dive right in. What do you think of these chapters, right. Brian? These are like the the Mission Impossible chapters. Uh, I kind of liked it. Yeah, there's something weird about yeah when we get to the. The uh, something felt fighter piloty about them uh, flying over the North Sea, so yeah, it was kind of cool. It was yeah, and it's definitely like a sudden change in tempo and tone. It does have yeah, that like a, sudden change feel. Uh, Indeed, the audiobook uses different intro music for these chapters. Mm. Yeah, this is a, it's it's a departure for sure. Like you know, it's not a little in school adventure. It's not. Uh, I'm, tr- I'm trying to think of any anything to equi- to equate it to in the previous part of the stories and there's really nothing like this is like it's fun and it's a different tone but it's also like serious shit so that's kind of exciting yeah Yeah, it was was cool and it was sort of like that and that like change of tone is sort of was like unexpected not in a bad way but it was like oh that's what we're doing now um i guess we did have like there was anticipation towards like okay we're doing the big thing but we didn't really have any idea of what that was going to be no yeah and i think it it transitions like in a nicely kind of uh like softly in the first first chapter that we're covering, chapter fifty one, um, like the first half, like feels okay. Yeah, perfect. This is normal. Like, yeah. I, it, there's a few notes of like the be prepared and um, yeah. I love well, yeah, all it, that like stuff. It, like it like comes in cold. Like we do know we have the the semi cliffhanger from the previous chapter that okay, we're gonna start whatever this mysterious adventure is that Quirrell's got in store, but we're just kind of like we just come in cold with Harry talking about all of his like totally OCD ways that he prepares for all the things. Um, and, and I like, I like that cause it was like, cause it was immediately like, we're fixating on like, he's got this story, his, his, uh, his, what is it called? Mokeskin? His, uh, his pouch is like full, which I didn't know that was a thing. Neither um, did he apparently. I think that's kind of fun. Yeah. I do wish that it gave us like the dimensions on the storage capacity of it. Yeah. Because it's got it's got an automatic lip widening charm. Like how many like, I mean, could you fit a motorcycle in it? Mm-hmm. Could you fit presumably? I'm guessing because of all the other shit he has in there. But could you fit a dozen motorcycles? I. I it doesn't you, matter, but I really want to know. If you dumped <laughs> it in the pool, would the pool go into it? Yeah. Oh shit. 
Uh huh. Uh huh. You know what? It's probably got something where it wouldn't like swallow the ocean, right? Who knows? Nobody's nobody thought I was going to get handed to Harry Potter. So this is why magic does need lawyers, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> what if someone made this? It didn't have no. A, see, a, that's the beauty part. Volume limit, and they just it, threw it in the threw it in the ocean on accident. Because it's magic, it it doesn't swallow the entire pool or the ocean, and the reason why is because that would suck, and so it doesn't, unless the plot needs it to. That's that's a compelling argument. Yes, because then that's when he's in the like when he's now in the later Mission Impossible portion of this, where he's trapped in a room that's slowly filling up with water, and they're going to drown at the very top of it. Then he just pulls out his Felix the Cat bag of tricks and disappears the water. Can't beat that. Yeah. So anyway, but what I liked, because we're like in this like weird, like obsessing about all the things in his pouch and all the things he would buy and, and, and him singing the Boy Scout song, uh, which I have no idea what that song is, but um, like he's so, it was so distracting, at least for me, that as we're reading, I'm like, then I had to be like, oh wait, yeah, we're prepared. This is, there's a reason that we're doing all this and it's because we're going to start this mysterious quest. Um yeah. Well, and he was just being prepared before it was necessary, right? Mm-hmm. This this is his whole thing. Like, it's, it's not preparedness if you need it afterwards. <laughs> I know. It's like, just, like, just in case. Yeah. And like after the fact, he said that like, he went and bought the, the sleeping potion from the Weasley twins months before because he didn't want he didn't want the fact that he bought it to make it look like he was having trouble sleeping, which I get, which I guess just in advance is just paranoid because you don't know that you might not want them to know that you're having trouble sleeping. So you might as well do that. I got, as I was thinking about it, I'm like, oh, how weird is this kid if he's like acting this way? He'd be like, okay, I need to get this thing to be prepared just in case of for no reason at all. But like this like infinite list of things you're getting prepared for. And one of the things I'm like, oh, yeah. So he's like, okay, we got to go back to Diagon Alley because I need to get like a bear gun and some flares and some water purification. And then as I'm going back and reading again, I'm like, oh, wait, flares is actually one of the things that he went and got. Yeah, it's uh, – I – I love it. I think my earliest exposure to the sort of kind of like bunker mentality of be prepared all the time for everything is uh, the character Bert from Tremors. I thought you were about to say like, oh, this guy I knew. I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> oh, man, I wish I knew a guy you like that. you friends with a prepper? What's going on? I know a guy who's like a, I don't know, on a scale of one to ten prepper, he's like a two. Um, you know, he's got guns and like a month or two worth of food, but I, I don't think he, you know, I, I wish I knew somebody with a bunker and like a whole thing but no that'll just have to be me when i have the time and money (laughs) go out and build a bunker i would love to have an underground bunker oh we're off track again all right cool all right let's change it to saturday so harry has trouble falling asleep friday which you mentioned but because he's smart he wanted to have a sleeping potion just in case which man i don't know how much i'd pay per night for a sleeping potion that just like was side effect free but especially if it's like magic sleeping potion so you're not all groggy or Yes. Yeah, I, I I can't say I'd spend ten bucks a night because that add up really fast. But I would spend, you know, twenty bucks a uh, per potion to have like once a week. I that's I just know. like that's like the opposite of two floofy Starbucks drinks. So ten bucks, that's not you know, it's an it's an investment <laughs> in your happiness. Yeah, I you know what I don't know what to say. <laughs> you got nothing. <laughs> yeah, I I got shut, nothing. Shut up, Brian. Okay, that's no, two, no, that's not... two and a half. That's two no, you're two good. And a um so yeah so how does it so and then what is the reveal into okay this is the thing that we are doing isn't that it starts out with the like would you do anything i ask 
Yeah, so it, it's drawn out all the way through this whole chapter. Um, they go to Mary's place, and uh, basically, as soon as they the server brings their food, he locks the door, and then does. And this is just like a kind of a fun little, uh, I don't know, not brain teaser, just a little thing to notice that when the waitress leaves, he does. I think what twenty nine of the security charms rather than the full yeah. suite of thirty. And then he turns into a snake. And I think that's probably because if I had to be put on my paranoid hat, I bet the 30th one that he didn't do is to prevent time traveling in the room. Because that'd be a really easy way to eavesdrop, right? You go to, you go to Mary's place at 2 o'clock, knowing that whoever you want to eavesdrop on was there at noon. Was just and then you there. just drop back invisible two hours early, right? Hmm. That would be a good trick for Harry to do. We'll see. That would be. We'll Although, see if that, if that works out. <laughs> but he, I don't think... No, he, I can, he, now I can deduce that it doesn't. Otherwise, you wouldn't say that right now. So. Well, it does say that he, Harry's puzzled by it. Not that he immediately uh, deduces what I just suspected. So <laughs> um, We never do case. like actually enumerate what the bajillion paranoia what, spells are. Yeah. No, but that, might, be a, that might, might make a fun exercise between now and next episode. See if we can think of 30 security charms. 30. That'd be hard. Yeah, especially if we're going to get as obscure as time travel prevention. All right, we'll uh, we'll see how far we get in the list by next episode. Um, so let's see. Anyway, yeah, then he turns into a snake and he says, "All right, hurry up and eat. We got to go." Um, so and I thought there was yeah. and there was more of let's so I'll pull a quote when as they're um, as it, while they're just in this sort of like dorking around uh, phase while they're in Mary's room. Um, it says, and if there was sometimes a cold atmosphere about the defense professor, bitterness in his voice or emptiness in his gaze, then Harry was the only one who Professor Quarrel allowed to see it. So this was another one of these like, like fanboy moments for Harry of like, oh, Professor Quarrel, you're so smart and impressive. Um, but I, what it made me think is like we're we're in i still don't know where this is going but like as we're in this weird slide this like post dementor slide with harry as he was like you know going back to being um douchebag harry the last few chapters and now he's like even more into this weird slide of like he's being his blind spot is getting bigger with quarrel where he's like being he's trusting a person who's very clearly not trustworthy and there's like the the red flags are getting redder and louder and bigger um and harry's just kind of la 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 so it's kind of interesting that you know it gets worse in these um chapters as we go forward but um yeah i thought it was just interesting that like the 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 obvious warning signs are are getting uh bigger and kind of more intimidating yeah it's interesting because like you know harry's i don't know uh succinctly like not an idiot most of the time Mm -hmm. about some stuff that that sounds like a fair statement um about some stuff but yeah he, he's clearly capable of rationalizing and yeah. because he's he's admittedly intelligent but he's not so smart that he like notices that he's doing it yeah and so well, and he, he's, he's like talking himself into like oh no Quirrell's great i can trust him you know yeah. only you know he only shows kind of like how uh you know sort of dark he is to me and that's just a sign of trust or whatever and it's like no nah, man everyone sees how evil this guy yeah. is or at least at least how dark he is like i think harry makes the distinction there's difference between between being like slytherin and being evil yeah um and harry's version just, of smart is kind of is the like you know the trickstery conniving paranoid scheming kind of brain activity um and so it's even more like this conspicuous like omission of him applying all the all the other ways he does it he's not he doesn't trust he doesn't trust dumbledore um, which I think at least for the stuff that he, we know, he's hearing stuff, but like 
he has definitely way more to be suspicious of and untrusting of Coral than he does of anybody else. But he, it's sort of like, but he's the one that he's like completely disregarding any of those warning signs. Yeah, there's like this, um, the sentiment that he has in here about where, uh, I guess there's there's two things. One was the kind of funny thing about how he described how like you know Professor Quirrell saved his life in the period of two, twice in the period of two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, he had, like th- so the line basically is like uh, if the defense professor wanted to make some use of Harry Potter, it was it was a use that required a strengthened Harry Potter, not a weakened not a weakened one. That's what it meant to be used by a friend that they would want to make use of a stronger you instead of weaker. Um, which I think is a really weird thing yeah, I know, to it's think a very creepy... Yeah, well, and it kind of ties in with me, like, the way he... Um, the way he acted with Padma, like, he's got this very clinical view. And, and this is not something that, like, he had sort of... had been learning his way out of this, but he's got this sort of robotic, transactional view of, of his, you know, dealing with other people that seems to, like, he's backslid into it and it's getting worse. Um so, yeah, yeah, it's I, I, you know, I'm trying to think of like, I don't really think of my friends in terms of using them. But like, if I put on my like, all right, well, let's not just be nice about it and actually think about it. Um, you know, you might you might have friends like, oh, because I've got these three friends that I'm really close with and all live nearby, they can help me move or something. Yeah. Or, uh, hey, this friend is like, I don't know, um, modestly or, you know, ha- has some sway in, like, this community that I care about. You know, like, I, if you mm-hmm. if you can get in close with a professor at the university you're attending or something, right? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, in the moment, that's not what you're, like, in any given moment, you're not thinking about your friends that way. No, you're yeah. not. Uh, yeah, there was, um, I had another thing to say about that, and it slipped my mind. So I'll move on to the next thing that I wanted to pull out, which is why I think Harry is so, like, um, it, it was right before the quote you pulled. It's just, I think this is why he's so enamored with Quirrell is that he says, Harry didn't quite know how to describe in words the sense of kinship he felt with Professor Quirrell, except to say that the defense professor was the only clear-thinking person Harry had met in the wizarding world. Sooner or later, everyone else started playing Quidditch or not putting protective shells in their time machines or thinking death was their friend. Um, he's <laughs> didn't matter how, how good their intentions were. Sooner or later, and usually sooner, they demonstrated that something deep inside their brain was confused. <laughs> Everyone mm. except Professor Quirrell. So, like, it's this whole thing that, um, I don't know, It it's like the areas that, uh, I don't know, all, all the things that he came into magic, into the magical world being annoyed about, Quirrell doesn't have those, right? Yeah. Well, but it's because it's so, like, selective in what he's decided to focus on. Cause, like, so, you know, anything bad about Quirrell, he's just discounting and not giving credit to anything smart anybody else does. I mean, yeah, because the statement like, oh, everybody's, you know, only Quirrell is the only other smart person on the planet or that he's met um, is, like, so on its face, like, not a true thing that it, like, even... Um, it, it just makes it even, you know, more pronounced to how, you know, altered Harry's thinking is. Yeah, Quirrell didn't propose putting protective shells in the time machines. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. I mean, you'd think that he'd be aware that they're going, that they're in this school because, I mean, A, he already knows that Harry has one, but B, mm-hmm. he's a professor. He knows that, the uh, you know, certain overachieving students can have them for school purposes. He'd be like, hey, you know what? I don't want to get stuck in a time loop. Can you put a shell on that thing for me? Uh, that was... I don't know. It's, uh, he's, I think he's just like, we've talked about this a lot because Quirrell's always been sort of like this, this bizarre feature of Harry's mind where Mm -hmm. it's like, look, man, this guy's, you know, clearly, uh, 
a little dark and a whole lot Slytherin. What are you so enamored with here? And I think it's just because he, again, he admires the parts of Quirrell that he likes, right? Yeah. And well, what, yeah, and like, and immediately after what you just quoted, it said, so you stopped at everyone except Professor Quirrell. It was a bond that went beyond anything of debts owed or even anything of personal liking, that the two of them were alone in the wizarding world. And if the defense professor occasionally seemed a little scary or a little dark, well, that was just the same thing some people said about Harry. Which to me, that's like such this like foreboding sentence. Um, and that, yeah, like he's, it's, he's got this starting to feel like a supernatural almost um, connection with Quirrell that's totally just like overriding all the, the normal ways that he thinks. And it was, it was actually this, this uh, paragraph that we pulled talking about that started pinging for me, like, Oh yeah, there's that like Harry's scar connect, like in the, the original books, like because of Harry's scar and his, uh, his connection to Voldemort, he's able to, they're able to like read each other's minds. Uh, and which is sometimes dangerous because they know like it makes it hard for each of them to hide from the other one. Um, so that's what's making what, what that ping for me is like, Oh, this is whatever. I don't know where this is going, but like that connection thing between him and Voldemort is like, that's what's kind of taking over in his head, especially with like, it's so sort of explicitly, he says at the end of that, like that was just the same thing. Some people said about Harry. So he's like, Oh yeah, I'm dark too. Um, so yeah, that's what's making me think like, like there's, Voldemort is taking over his mind a little. I don't know if like actively, but like that whatever connection, that little bit of Voldemort is like waking up and, and fucking with him. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I, I read it, I guess, uh, a little more shallowly, but like... Oh, yeah. When... I mean, I think in that, like that's all that Harry was saying like explicitly, but I mean, it just made me think that that's like that. That's what's kind of the subtext of what's going on here is... Like Harry's kind of going a little nutty in a Voldemort direction, like some bleed through. Yeah, nice. No, I like that a lot. I was thinking, so like that sentence, and it like it was the same thing that people said about Harry. I, I sort of just took him as like rationalizing. Well, people say Quirrell's dark, but you know, idiots like Ron say I'm dark. So mm. like clearly Quirrell's fine because I know I'm fine. Boom. And so I think. Yeah. I think, yeah. Well, I think like that's like that's what Harry like that's what Harry thinks he's saying. And that's what like to himself, that's what he says, especially, yeah, because that does totally fit into that sort of like dismissive, you know, me and Quirrell are the only superhumans in the world and everybody else uh, isn't worth our time. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's fit. Like I can see like, that's what Harry's saying. Um, but then I think like the way this is phrased, like it's almost like, like we take a step back and, like look at just like even the words he's using to, to talk to himself about it. It's like, Oh, this is kind of fucked up. Like that's not normal. Um, cause yeah. to what, for, to what for him is just going like, Oh, people say that about Quirrell and that's no big deal is to us. The, like the words as we read it are, Oh, you're as dark as Quirrell. Um, it's interesting because Harry's Harry's clearly not right. Yeah. Like, he, no, but got... that's like, he's like, it's, sort of, it's like that one little, like, like his little, like Bilbo Baggins moment of going just like a little bit insane. Uh, and saying something that's like a little bit over the top and then kind of going back to normal. It's like these little flashes of like, oh, he's kind of like, something's wrong here. You know, I, it's this will be our second tangent, maybe, if anyone's counting. <laughs> I was I was thinking about that scene and like all of Bilbo's scenes in the Fellowship of the Ring. Mm. Like just in the last couple of days, I was thinking about them for a while and I can't remember why, but I remembered basically everything that he said about the ring and that, that moment when he like goes to snatch it from Frodo and it goes yeah. all gremlin for a second. Yeah. Yeah. 
And it's yet, such a creepy like, just, that one sticks with you just because like that visual effect was so good i don't know if you've ever paused on that but like <laughs> it, i think it, i've seen it like seen a still of it yeah back in the days of dvds i paused yeah. on that once and it was just like yeah, know, it, 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 it ceases to be scary immediately and it becomes really really <laughs> funny really um yeah. and it does kind of it ruins the the beat of the scene but it's you know since it's however years old now it's maybe worth taking a look at and just getting a chuckle but yeah bringing it back harry isn't like maybe there's something like that like because bilbo's still a nice guy in the analogy right so therefore not a tangent um it's like harry is he's seeming to you know do some weird dark stuff and yet there's still to put it in the terms of like his uh conversation with draco there's still enough light in him to kill dementors and uh it's it's interesting i'm curious to see where this goes yeah i'm uh What's as we're saying this, it's reminding me of of the scene when Hermione helps, like right before, when Harry's all dementized, um, and what Hermione says is that's not Harry. Um, like all of this is making me think about that. So I don't really have this like put together as like one cohesive like theory about anything, but yeah, it seems like like there's some sort of like like mind rot going on with Harry. Nice. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on that. Yeah. Um, I don't have much else to add. I guess we can keep rolling. There's a line break after uh, the snake explains the first stage of the plan. It was it. I, I couldn't really. So they got, then they do the whole thing like, okay. And we, we knew this one coming in that they were going to sneak um, Voldemort around inside the pouch. Um, but there was a lot of very like explicit, like let's practice to make sure that you can get in there. And then like tossing it across the room. I'm wondering like, there's probably something plot wise that comes up that makes all this significant, but it seemed weird. And there was a very specific, um, thing that Quirrell said to Harry about like, okay, as it's, as you're like floating it back to yourself across the room, like he was being really careful to watch out for that. It might be opening on its own. And that like, and if, and that's where it was like, not specific, but, but it was that like, oh, and if that happened, that would be bad. Um, but it, it all seemed like very like super careful for reasons I couldn't quite understand. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So and it's, we don't have to go through all the steps because as yeah. you point out, it's a 12 step program. And <laughs> that well, yeah, when we get into that one, uh, well, yeah, no, we haven't, we haven't gotten to that one yet, but, um, yeah, that one's, there's something going on there too, but yeah, I mean, does, is there something I missed that you can spoilerize on me? Is like the significance of that, that I just didn't pick up on with, or was that like left mysterious, the whole, like there was, so there was the two things of like, like there's something like unstable and dangerous about transporting him. And then also the, the other thing, I don't know if it's related, but the, the thing about, you know, the closer he gets to Quirrell, the more he gets that sense of doom. Um, and then when the wand was pointed at him, that was something that was specifically like when the wand was pointed at him, the sense of doom. And I know like those were kind of happening at the same time with the whole like, let's practice with the pouch thing. But so I, don't, I couldn't tell like, did you miss the significance of something or is that something that's like there to be sort of conspicuously like, hey, this means something, but we're not going to tell you what yet. I think, uh, what was the quote? Nothing's a coincidence and everything is on purpose. So, <laughs> Well, yes, but uh, it could be like not a coincidence because, hey, dummy, you didn't notice this one other thing that you were already told. So, No, I, nothing no. I can think of. No. Um, yeah, but it, it does seem like there's a lot of precautions. Like one of them about the uh, the snake being in the pouch was because like, you're not supposed to, be, supposed to be able to put people in it, which, yeah. thank God. Um, <laughs> again, with our, with our speculating about what the pouch does, who knows what would happen if you put a person in there. Um, so he... Uh, Let's see. Um, yeah, I, th- I think entering it and exiting it as a snake is somehow bending the rules. So yeah. that was like an okay thing to try. Um, well, yeah, yeah. And he had to like hit all Voldemort levels of 
of magic on it to make it possible to do that. That was at least my like from the description. It was like, you know, th- this was no trivial thing that he did when he enchanted the the pouch some extra to make it possible for him to do that. Yeah, some some new enchantments. Yeah, he's yeah. definitely got some badassness. Um, yeah. Then the other thing that you asked about. Yeah. So like the the thing about the wand pointing at Harry. So that was like. I think to lock the shell in place and then be able to turn the time turner inside anyway. Um, yeah, that, there was that. But I, there the was an, I didn't. I didn't pull it as a quote because it wasn't. It wasn't a very quotable thing. But but it it mentions specifically talking about like that the wand was pointed in his like 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 it like a loaded gun like because the thing was pointed at him it suddenly brought up this like sense of doom. So there was and, and I, at least to me like the description felt like it was like specifically about the wand that there was something about it being the wand and it being pointed at him that was that was part of it there was also the like okay quarrel's closer to me or he's in the pouch he's not in the pouch and and his like sense of doom going up and down with all that but then there was something specific about the wand which seemed puzzling to me yeah maybe it's the phrasing and i guess i'm not sure how to read into that either um so this was step two as professor quarrel stood up from where he bent over by the pouch and put away his wand his wand happened to point in Harry's direction, and there's a brief crawling sensation on Harry's chest near where the time turner lay, like something creepy had passed very close without touching him. Which, if it was like, yeah. all right, Mr. Potter, hold, stand very still. I'm going to hold the time turner still or something while you rotate the shell. Um, that that would be one thing. But yeah, this the, the phrasing there is interesting, like it's an accident. Um, but the fact that it mentions the time turner makes me think that it wasn't. I guess I'm not sure how to read that one. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I mean, it, it wasn't explained. So it was, I mean, it, to, to me, it felt like okay, this is a like an intentionally dropped, not dropped, but like you know, this is put here to make you go, hmm. I wonder what that's about. Yeah, this so, is a yeah. hey, notice me. Yeah, um, and part of like and kind of like just a continuation of like when they were riding in the coach on their way to Diagon Alley the week before that his like when I'm sitting too close to you, I feel all freaked out. And so like, this is, this keeps coming up and we, we don't yet know like what the, what the significance of it is. Hmm. Well, I guess hopefully that's explained. Um, someday. Someday. So let's see. Uh, Harry then is invisible, uses the time turner to go back an hour, and then he waits for someone to be leaving the, what, restaurant, I guess, and then walks out. Yeah. Then he goes down to some abandoned shop, and then... Uh, and that's the, like, the, the word, as this is all going on, like, like, step one starts in Mary's room, and then they go through it. And what I had noticed about it, and I think what, because I mean, we, we've done, like, a lot, there's been, like, acts one through six, so this is something that we've done a lot. Um, but I think what made it stick out for me was I think it was like step four or something was pointless or it wasn't even really a step. Um, it was, you know, and then Coral looks up or something or something like that. Um, oh yeah. I've got it in which, front of me. It was, yeah. it was step five. Harry sheathed his wand. His other hand still held the cloak of invisibility and Harry drew the cloak over himself. So I guess step five is put the cloak on, but it seems weird yeah. to make that a whole step on its own. Like if you're drawing out your plan to break into, break into the, you know, the, the bank vault or whatever you don't put and you know and load your tools onto the truck as one of yeah, the steps exactly. in your master plan right yeah and that's what it's so and it, and it and it i wasn't like consciously processing any of that but i just like as i was reading i'm like oh that's kind of a weird thing to turn into a step and then it wasn't really until like it's all done and they finally arrive at that like abandoned store uh and it's like and then step 12 and i'm like okay so we like 12 steps was on purpose like we arrived at that number on purpose because some of those steps were pointless 
Um, and so they were just there to pad us to get to 12. Um, but then I'm like, okay, but why? And I'm like, is this like an Alcoholics Anonymous reference? Or like, <laughs> like what's going on? And so that's still like, there's been, I haven't read, I haven't gotten a hint about anything as to like what the significance of that would be. But it just seemed like, like very, like conspicuous, like that we landed at 12. And yeah, it's just, I don't know. No, yeah, I, mean. I, I don't think that was. That was uh, that wasn't something I thought about until you drew my attention to it. That yeah, for sure, the the steps seem artificially inflated to get us to twelve, and I don't yeah. think it's like an AA joke. I it could be like I think he was going to go to all that trouble. Then like, well, I, I didn't go back to read. I would think like he was going to do that. Then he would like have some little Easter egg in each one of the steps to. Or like it'd be funny if afterwards, like, like Coral was like, "I'm thirsty" or something, right? Yeah. Like, I, since there's nothing like that. The only other thing that 12 comes to mind is that I think 12 is like a special number in magic things, um, yeah. like in the lore of magic. Uh, and it, like, I think it's just all of the, um, you know, anything out of whatever my brain improperly classifies yeah. as like medieval era, mm-hmm. um, like the Knights of the Round Table, the, and then there's like in this, the 12 uses of dragon's blood, like yeah. um, random I'm stuff just like wondering, that, yeah, so. I'm wondering if, yeah, like it seems like there's gotta be some, significance to it because if it had been like okay at 10 steps then you know if we'd ended it at 10 steps then the fact that one of them was like inflated wouldn't seem as much so the fact and not specifically but but yeah like just 12 in general um beyond like 12 steps of aa like there's 12 steps in aa because the number 12 is significant um Mm. so yeah it just made me like okay why did we do that so i mean it seems pretty clear I i would bet money i don't know what odds i would take but i would bet money that like that there was a reason we got to 12 steps. Um, but I have no idea what it is. I'm with you. I don't know either. And that's not me pretending. If you're like not, not pretending, I'm like, Oh, well maybe not. Yes. It's weird. I wonder how much of this stuff is sometimes like the guy just, you know, feels like just dropping some weird random Easter egg, which is either like just put there to confuse you or it actually does mean something to somebody else. And he's never going to like say, it's like some inside joke between him and like one other person. I bet there's some of those. There's a lot of there's a lot of like obscure references in here. Mm-hmm. I bet there's some that are super obscure between you know, like you said, him and a friend or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd have to call out step nine, where the password is swordfish melon friend, and mm-hmm. uh, if I remember correctly, melon was the password to open the minds of Moria, which is dwarvish for friend, which isn't the uh... worst password in the world. And then swordfish was a movie, and that was like the password. Oh, that's, I remember that, because uh, I, I Google that too. Every every time there's something like super arbitrary like this, I'm like, okay, that's a reference to something. Um, but yeah, I forgot that it was that, it was not like a John Travolta movie. I uh, can't remember. I don't think I actually yeah. saw it. Yeah, I think I recall it being bad. Oh yeah, because I, yeah, I think it was, because he like, plays this completely not believable super hacker guy, but <laughs> yeah. Plus, like, and I, I didn't see the movie, so maybe there's a good explanation for it, but if the password is swordfish, it's not secure. So <laughs> it's true. Your, your yeah, but it's like, should be it's like 30 S, characters long. It's SW0. Oh, right. Swordfish, and then so, one exclamation point. Yeah, so yeah. it's it's super secure. Yep. Okay, yeah, never mind. Objection withdrawn. <laughs> so <laughs> So you let so then Coral gets out, Harry says in parcel tongue, um that it's done, so uh oh no wait. Yeah. Uh, Alright, I was gonna pull out another kind of arbitrary step. Step eleven is Coral leaves the pouch, but Again, why write that down in your list of steps? It does seem like it, need, it wanted yeah. to get us up to 12. Because um, I'm looking at it, it could very easily have been 10. So in any case, uh, so Coral gets out and he says, all right, cool. Well, because, you know, partial tongue is hard. I've got a quick question for you. And you pulled that out. Um, 
That... Yeah, so yeah, parcel tongue does not quite suit me, I fear, as I am neither a descendant of Salazar nor a true snake. I'm like, I would like, I, I guess it's totally easy. He could just lie. He could just straight up lie. Um, although maybe in this universe, like, uh, Voldemort isn't a descendant of Slytherin, but... Or is, was that explicit? I've never, I was never clear on like what it means to be the heir of Slytherin. Does that mean you are literally a descendant? I'm not actually sure if it's supposed yeah. to be like some or magical some, like, heir or Metaphorical something. heir. I, I, I think it's got to be some sort of magical heir. Maybe yeah. it's, you know, literally like my, you know, whatever, some magic thing involved or a metaphorical thing. Yeah. But it's, it would strike me as weird that like Salazar has exactly one descendant. Like, yeah, I mean, did he, did he have... It should be like Genghis Khan where like... You know, every third person is a descendant of Slytherin. Right. Yeah, I mean, even even if he wasn't getting around to that much, you'd think there'd still be dozens or hundreds after 800 years, right? Yeah, that's true. And we never actually talked about, like, the, who was Mrs. Slytherin? Like, or was this some sort of, like, Cain and Abel mystery of, like, where the hell did that guy come from? Um, yeah, how are, there, how are there descendants of Slytherin if there was no Mrs. Slytherin? Uh, I mean... Were they adopted? Does that it, count? It, yeah. I, I guess he doesn't have to get get married to you know have kids, but unicellular reproduction because he's a wizard. It is weird to think about the founders of Hogwarts just banging people. So <laughs> especially when you, when you put it that, exactly that way, say banging people. Um, <laughs> all right, so uh, especially because robes are extremely not sexy. So they're not sexy robes. No. Yeah. What what is a sexy robe? I guess the it's Lebowski's. Like no way. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Um, the ah, whatever we're getting distracted so all right um <laughs> uh he says all right if anyone's still watching us we're in any case doomed so i'll speak plainly um then he just basically says hey so what's your opinion of the magical uh of the government of magical britain and harry's like okay yeah i kind of saw this one coming um and he says well based on my limited knowledge i'd say that both the ministry and the wizengamot appear to be stupid corrupt and evil correct says professor quarrel <laughs> do you understand why i ask and uh, he like uh, fast for he has this like whole little fantasy in like half a second of like right. what that means. He's like, oh man, you're gonna ask me to join your organization of interesting people like yourself, and uh, and, and, it, and the answer is yes, I'm in. <laughs> and Kroll's just like, that's not what I was no, gonna no, ask. He's I'm like, oh, what, what's our name thing. gonna be? Do, do I get a cost? Do I get a code name? Right. Are there costumes? Dude, I gotta tell you, me and Drake are already pretending to do this shit at school. I'm so excited. <laughs> I've already got a name in mind. If, if you don't have a name, I, I've got some suggestions. So basically, uh, he says, no, I asked because I wanted to do something treasonous and illegal. And he's like, okay, go on. Um, and I, I, I do like uh, some of the de- deliberation that goes on here because, I don't know, I've never, actually, no. I'm trying to think if I've ever been asked to be complicit in a crime. And I have, and I turned it down, uh, at least the one occasion I'm remembering. And it depends on crime. Like, how do you define crime? Right, yeah. So, I, I'm thinking of a crime that I didn't want to be involved in, right? Yeah. Like, so uh, this is just the, the sort of thing where, like, he's he's saying, okay, cool, but before I tell you, I have to ask, are you okay now knowing that it's going to be, you know, treasonous and illegal? Um, do you, Are you okay with me telling you? Because you're not exactly compelled to do it afterwards, but this is going to be another... Uh, vulnerability that i'm opening and actually a fun yeah. fact about this and harry's read influence science and practice. i was about to say this yeah uh, yeah like the fact that he's getting him to agree to little things along the way is going to make him agreeing to do the big thing later more likely yeah and agreeing to something in the abstract without specifics even though like harry's like well i can't promise 
you know, unless I know, but then he keep like, he keeps saying, he keeps doing the thing he says he's not doing. Yeah. And the other funny thing is that he called Hermione out for doing this exact, or I guess he called out the Ravenclaw girls for doing this exact sort of thing. Yeah. Where it's like, no, no, you'll just agree to do it later because of consistency. Well, Harry, mm-hmm. here you are. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they kind of go back because it then gets to, because that, that, like, he's totally all in on that. He's like, oh, sure, treasonous and le- illegal. Like, that doesn't bother him at all. But then it does, he does have to, I, I forgot, and like, I captured the line that, that stood out to me, but I forgot now what the actual specifics led up to it. Like, what was, so what was the literal issue that made him, like, have to stop and think about it? So the main thing was that, I guess, first, before I get there, I've got to point out the funny line where Professor Quirrell is like, well, you know, it would be a terrible abuse of my friendship. And of course, the trust, such trust placed in me <laughs> as my teaching position. And Harry's just like, you can skip this part. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Okay, I'll skip it. So basically, the part that was a, that right before the quote you pulled out was Quirrell saying, look, if I so much as tell you what we're going to do, you can't play uh, like coy. You can't do half truths. You can't do that thing where like, oh, I, I couldn't say if this is true or not. You have to flat out start just lying to people lying. about it. Yeah. You, you, with no concern for your honor. Um, you might speak in exactly the fashion you would speak if you knew nothing. And so that's the part where it's measured in a fraction of Harry's soul. Yeah. Because, because you know, being a flat-out liar sucks. And yet that's what he's being told he'll have to do if he hears the plan. Yeah, and it made me... Th- uh, I can't remember what the scene... I think it had to do with the uh, the punishment with Snape scene. It wasn't important, like, which part of it, but that, like, Harry's very, like, specific... Um, kind of allegiance to like the literal act of telling the truth uh, in, a, in the very like narrowly focused sense. It, it reminded me of that, that like, oh, like the, the literal telling of a lie is, is a big deal to him. Um, even yeah. though he's done all kinds of like misleading bullshit um, that I get, you know, wouldn't technically count, but you know. Yeah, no, exactly. I, I think his, his line, it was like, it was during his apology where he was saying yeah. that he, yeah, yeah, he yeah, believes yeah, in yeah. telling the truth and, um, it, there is something, you know, when the stakes are light to kind of play coy and that sort of thing, yeah. but uh, to have to flat out deceive somebody like that um, with a just outright lie, I, I, I don't yeah. like, I mean, no one likes lying, but uh, I read a short book that I was already leaning this way, but basically persuaded me the rest of the way to just never lie about anything ever. And that puts me in a great position life-wise to where now that I've been doing this for like a decade, people know that they can ask me stuff and I'll get them honest feedback. And... Cool. None of this bullshit about like, okay, well, I'll tell you, but you can't tell this person. Um, so <laughs> Which really I, just means like when you tell somebody else, you have to tell them that they can't tell anybody else. Well, I, so that, that's <laughs> what people, when they do that, mean. But like uh, that said, I have engaged in deception for the sake of like, uh, for the sake of the greater good. No, mm-hmm. um, for uh, <laughs> like fun purposes. Like when my now wife was uh, getting her master's in Columbia, um, she was out in New York for 10 months and I asked her, I was like, all right, well, if I were hypothetically, and I did this actually like weeks in advance before I even, I knew I was coming just, just in case to be prepared. I said, if I do like happen to plan a surprise trip out there, how would you feel if I were to like deceive you about it? So you'd be surprised. Otherwise you'd just know I was coming. She's like, yeah, that'd be mm-hmm. fine. So I remember like I took a picture of like roughly the time I'd be on the plane, uh, when I was at work the day before with the clock conspicuously visible in the background, <laughs> and I got, I bought Wi-Fi on the plane so I could text her and be like, God, work is slow today. And um, so that was a lot of fun. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. 
but that was done with permission. I don't know how you lie with permission, but you know, well, yeah, and it's, all, it's like yeah. it's about there's like underlying intent to all of it, which is also like in the opposite direction. Like Harry has done some stuff that's like intentionally deceptive, but not technically a lie. Um, right. And like at least like according to my moral accounting, like that's like those are the things that are lies, and like what you're doing to like a surprise for your wife is not a lie, even you know it might be specifically and technically a lie, but. Yeah, like if I said, "Oh, I forgot your birthday," shit, and then it's like, "Aha, surprise!" Um, like that's yeah. yes, it, and a big part of that is like, on, yeah, is the yeah, lie yeah. for selfish reasons. Um, yeah, yeah, and so like telling telling a truth for a selective truth for a selfish reason is the same as lying. Basically, yeah. like in my mind, lying is giving somebody a view of the world that you know to be wrong yeah. on purpose, right? And so if you can do that without telling a word that isn't true. Um, or that isn't untrue rather than well done, but you're still lying to people. Yeah. So in any case, we'll move past all but that. But what, what stood out for me though, and it was the specific phrasing was, is that was a price measured in a fraction of Harry's soul. Uh, and then I, I think also now that it, like my head is more in like Voldemort space, um, the phrasing of that stuck out to me and I'm like, Oh, wait a minute. Horcruxes. I have no idea what it, like, well, maybe some idea, but like it wasn't that like this specifically calls out to like, okay, this means this, that or the other, but it was like, okay, that feels like a, a carefully chosen uh, phrase to like be a little seed dropped of something about Horcruxes, um, which I don't know, like in a like pre-verbal part of my brain is like, okay, that's going to have something to do with like their little mental connection thing. Um and so that like more, so that it's, I, I don't know, it just seemed like, okay. And, um, and then because where it sort of took me back is like the pacing of, of this story as compared to like the original stories, I was like, oh yeah, because just in the not thinking about it very hard part of your brain, it was like, okay, if like we were in these, this parallel universe that like branched off from the original, that we're still like early on in that story and so my brain is not yet into the into horcrux land because i don't know this that doesn't even come up to like the sixth book or something or is it even the seventh i mean the seventh is like the horcrux book but um so i realized i like oh wait but this is a story like the whole you know arc of everything is happening in this you know one story that i guess people divide into books but it's like it's all one story to me um Year one, anyway. Yeah, yeah, and that. Um, so I'm like, oh, okay. And then if Horcruxes are going to be a thing, like they need to start being a thing now, um, much like the the the, uh, the mentalist rules uh, for like, okay, he's probably got to be Voldemort because Voldemort is going to be here. I have no idea why, but just because <laughs> Voldemort is going to be in this story, and there's only a few people that it could be, um, and it sounds, and that wouldn't necessarily be true about Horcruxes, but like to me, it's like uh, this feels, this feels like not a coincidence. It, yeah, maybe it's there to just remind us, like, oh yeah, you guys remember Horcruxes? Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, that's yeah. No, I think um, to me it feels. I mean, I could be this. This is going to more be like if more things come in that that work for this, then it would be like okay, this is where like those suspicions first started coming up because I've been like. Voldemort as a thing like who is Voldemort and what does that mean blah 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 like that's kind of in my head the whole time that we've been reading just because like that's the central um, conflict of most of the books and especially to the one with Quirrell in it um, but the Horcrux thing like wasn't hasn't been uh, especially because even in the stories Horcruxes were just kind of this like inserted thing towards the end um, 
but so yeah, like that has been floating around in my head. Anything about Horcruxes, but this in here is like, okay, we're going, we're going to have to like take in to the extent that we're going to take anything from the original universe. And we need to start doing that now if we're going to. Um, so yeah. Yeah. No, I like that. And that's some, some reading between the lines and you can see pretty far from the top of your ladder paranoia. I like it. (laughs) So Quirrell or Harry says, all right, go ahead and tell me the mission. And well, after he asks if the need is desperate Mm -hmm. and Quirrell says, there is someone who is in terrible want of your help and there's no one else who can help them but you, which sounds flattering until he explains exactly why. He says that the ordinary Patronus charm wards off Dementors, but Dementors still see you through it. They know that you're there. The only your Patronus, or excuse me, only not your Patronus. It blinds them or more than blinds them. What I saw beneath the cloak wasn't even looking in our direction as you killed it. Although as though it, it had forgotten our existence, even as it died. Yeah. Now that, and that's like that little bit of information, um, like specifically like, oh, they can't see you when you did it. Like this is, this is us finding that out for the first time, isn't it? Because I, I don't recall that it being part of any part of the description of when he kills the Dementor. No, Harry, I think, can't even see anything beneath the cloak. Um, yeah. So, like, to see which way it would be looking makes no sense. Like, I guess which way um, the, the hood is facing or something. Yeah. But or we no, don't even he, get a sense not... of, like, like oh, their perception is pointed in this direction or anything. We didn't get any sort of, like, read up or down about that, I don't think. No, nothing. Yeah. So this this apparently is a Quirrell insight that we're just now getting handed to us. So um, I do like this kind of badass exposition here where he says, Mr. Potter, the central branch of Gringotts is guarded by every spell, high and low, to the, that the goblins know. Even so, those vaults have been successfully robbed. For what, wizard, wizardry, eh, for what wizardry can do, wizardry can undo. And yet no one has ever escaped from Azkaban. No one. For every charm, there is a counter-charm. For every ward, there is a bypass. How can it be that no one has ever been rescued from Azkaban? And I, I, I think I just like the first half of that more. He's like, all right, so this is super, like, you know, the Gringotts is he- heavily guarded, and yet... Mm-hmm. People have successfully robbed those. How come they're not Azkaban? And he's explaining about how the Dementors are the basically the, the key to the uh, Azkaban's perfect security. Yeah. And it's done in this, like a sort of grim way. And this is some of the like the tone shift I think that we were talking about. It's yeah. The Dementors don't like their meals being taken away from them. Mm-hmm. And they know if anyone tries. And there are more than 100 there. And they can talk to the guards as well. It's that simple. Um, yeah, and I liked... The like the description from this, I think more a, a vibe I'd never got from the originals is that like Azkaban, it feels like it's almost described as like the the spawn point for Dementors. Like all Dementors originate here. I, it, I don't even know that it like says that explicitly, but it, I think there's something about the image of like okay, there's like hundreds of Dementors in the kind of almost like in the basement. It feels like this like nasty like nest and like place that just Dementors spontaneously appear um and that it's sort of like the ground zero of dementorness um so i like the vibe like and it, it didn't ever quite really specifically put it that way but i like that sort of sense that it that it gave it made like azkaban seem even more you know it's like it's the mouth of hell or something i like that it, it's interesting yes you know like if if dementor spawned into the world for some random or for some reason, in some random spot in the North Sea, they just built this prison around it and thought it would be a great place no, to store bad people. Um, the question is, of course, if Dementors sap your magic... Well, I guess they could use Patronus charms, couldn't they? I don't know. Yeah, it's not clear. I think my um, 
I, you know, we don't really see Dementors running around. They're not like a creature that you see loose in the wild. Yeah. It seems like the, the government has their hands on all of them. Yeah. So. And, was, and my at least my sense from the original books is like dement. It was like Dementors. They weren't tied so much to Azkaban. Um, like there was like, okay, we're going to use them there. But like the origin of Dementors was kind of more like vague and like, oh, they fit well to be used here in Azkaban. But at least to me, like, it didn't feel like they're, because th- this one, it feels like, like Dementors and Azkaban are kind of like one and the same thing, um, which kind of makes both of them seem a lot more intimidating. Yeah. No, I can dig that. Um, oh, yeah. So- and, I keep being, and I keep being reminded of Minecraft. Like, it's the spawn point for, <laughs> <laughs> it's just where, like, an infinite supply of Dementors will just keep appearing in the basement of Azkaban. Well, that certainly One makes defeating, you know, Harry's ambition of defeating them eventually in the in the personification of death uh, a harder problem if they're going to just you keep... You just got to put blocks all the way around it, that's all. Yeah, man, every it's 90 easy. minutes, one pops out of there. It's been doing that for just 500 it, years. You, you just surround <laughs> it with blocks. It's fine. Perfect. Um, so, yeah, basically, uh, Coral just drops the bomb and he says, there's an innocent person in Azkaban. And uh, his exposition on who this per- or how this person came to be there is, is I don't know. I'll just dive into it. You tell me what you think. Mm-hmm. He says, this was the one of whom I speak was not under the Imperius curse. There are sure ways to break wills in the Imperius. If you have the time for torture and legitimacy and rituals of which I will not tell you of which I will not speak. I cannot tell you how I know this, how I know any of this cannot even hint it to you. Uh, you'll just have to trust me. Um, there was a, there's a person in Azkaban who never once chose to serve the dark Lord who has spent years suffering alone uh, in the most terrible cold and darkness imaginable and never deserved a single minute of it. And it's, uh, so th- this was kind of fun, um, where, <laughs> uh, in the, what was it? One of the previous chapters, he was, his reminiscing how annoying it was that Quirrell, oh, it was in the one called Pry Information. Um, how Quirrell can like make these radical deductions based off of scant evidence. And Harry's mm-hmm. like, I just wish once I could just turn the tables on it and do that to him. And he does he that to him it. here. And it doesn't work. Yeah, and it reminded me, like, it was similar to the way he was like, oh, and you're planning a, a secret society to overthrow the government? I'm in. He's like, oh, okay. And he was, again, like, trying to jump ahead and got it wrong. Well, but this time he gets it right. Well, no, no, like, you're right. no. Yeah. he thinks yeah, it's you're serious. Right. He, he gets it to the point where Quirrell thinks he's right for a second. Yeah. Um, I like to, that the the italicized line that's kind of there between it's, so it says Harry saw it in a single leap of intuition his mouth racing almost ahead of his thoughts and then in italics there was no hint no warning we all thought and that was um, Lupin telling Harry about what happened to Sirius Black mm-hmm. and so then yeah. he says ah a person by the name of Black and then there was silence silence while the pale blue eyes stared at him well said Professor Quirrell so much for not telling you the name until after you accepted the mission. I would ask whether you're reading my mind, but that's flatly impossible. <laughs> How, um, did we already, like, cause I knew, and I don't know if that mean, but that it's Bellatrix Black and not Bellatrix Lestrange. Do, do we already know that in this universe or is this how we found out? Um, no, we must've found out at some point because she's, yeah, because I already, and, and I already know that. So it must've. Yeah. Lysoth Lestrange is her son. Um, and I guess she, he took his dad's name, but not her maiden name or something. Oh, so uh, she was still in the list. She was of the Lestranges. I can't remember if she married into Just the black family the or if she was in it. I think no, because she was, it. she was Sirius's cousin, wasn't she? That sounds right. right. Uh, but I don't remember yeah. if it was cousin by marriage or not. No, I think because, and then, uh, what's her name? And Narcissa, I think was also Sirius's cousin. 
God, a bunch of inbreds. These purebloods, yeah. man. Seriously. Their family tree is a circle. Uh, so, um, and then, uh, yeah, they've called her Bellatrix Black in the past because uh, she was the one um, who, uh, when, so when he has Neville to help him save Lysoth, mm-hmm. he had said Bellatrix Black for oh, my yeah, parents yeah. and stuff. And it was That's right. all this and that. So, um, anyway, so then Quirrell's uh, expletive here. I like this. Um, well, it's not actually that interesting. Well, all right, sorry. I'm belaboring. I'll just read it. I need to quit doing that. I am certainly impressed, Mr. Potter, said Professor Quirrell, his face grave. But this is a serious matter, and if there's some way others could make the same deduction, I must know. So tell me, Mr. Potter, how in the name of Merlin, of Atlantis, of the void between the stars, did you guess that I was talking about Bellatrix? And I, like, that's... I like that the void between the stars was a thing he swears on. Me too. And it, it, that seems clearly calculated to work with him and Harry, yeah. but... Uh, I like this a lot, and I remember re- reading this I, it, vaguely, the sensation of reading it the first time, because that's like a bombshell. And you're like, wait a minute, fucking Bellatrix? No, man, you're obviously talking about Sirius Black. Yeah. Oh, damn. Oh. And the, I don't know, the, the kind of fake-out double-take was a lot of fun. So, yeah. and, it, do we, so and in this universe, Sirius really did it. Uh, all we have is or, or we don't know. Lupin's rendition and the official story. Yeah, which from our knowledge of the original story, we our, our predisposition on that is to go like, oh no, he was framed. Yeah, of our meta-knowledge from the existing, or from whatever, the canon books, he was framed. Um, in this, no one has any reason to doubt the real story. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I don't know. We'll see if that comes up. But I, I just... The, I, I'd like the, the Bellatrix serious fake out there. So yeah. anyway, so that's chapter then, 51. Chapter 51. And then the Mission Impossible part. I guess this was all like the building the tension part. But there's something like when we, we come in and we're like fighter pilots on our brooms over the North Sea. So it started to feel very Mission Impossible. I don't know why fighter pilots and Mission Impossible are related. They don't <laughs> seem like they would be. But there, there's something like it, it suddenly like turned this like very kind of like Tom Clancy vibe to the whole thing. Yeah, there's also like this minute of, I, I think it's still just doing a job of like moving the tension, like you said, from like kind of that childishness to more seriousness. And it's doing it like explicitly. Harry's thinking about this in terms of like, well, you know, uh, I grew up watching Kimball Kinnison and Captain Picard on TV and uh, they all mm-hmm. had to give up their innocence to, you know, level up in their their quests and become heroes. And well, that's what I got to do. I'm going to do it. And I know that the enthusiasm will wear off pretty quickly, so I'm going to enjoy it while I can. Like it's, it's very, uh, um, I don't his meta, meta level, of, yeah, yeah, his meta yeah. level of thinking about it and his deliberate choice to enjoy it while he knows, you know, while it while he can because he knows it's going to suck later is just kind of fun to me. Um, yeah, and he's like very, he's like explicitly talking about his world as a story in a way that was like pretty similar to kind of the uh, the way Dumbledore would talk about it. the way Dumbledore would talk about it would sort of sound more like an insane person. Um, but this is like the not insane sounding, but basically kind of the same line of thinking as that, like, Oh, I'm supposed to do this because that's what, if this were a story, that's what it would do. I think that's the difference between, uh, well, at least Dumbledore's, you know, the way Harry sees him as acting insane and believing or, you know, believing the world is a story. So Harry's thinking, all right, well, if I'm going to frame this as if it was a story, this Mm -hmm. is what's going to happen, which is a little different. That said, his first, like, uh, I don't know, 
goofing deduction that the Dark Lord was still alive and they had a destined fight. Like, that was purely just him, like, oh, well, if this was a story, this is what would happen, yeah. right? And that turned out to be the case. So, um, who knows? Maybe well, they does run yeah. stories. Yeah. And it feels like, at least to me, like, yeah, no, it's not as, the way he's thinking is not as crazy as, like, Dumbledore's thoughts about it. But, like, this is what it looks like for you to go there. Like, this, this is the, you know, the first step down the crazy road. He's <laughs> starting to think this way. So I don't know. Like to me, like this feels like almost like it's kind of tied into the way he's like losing all judgment about Quirrell and like just things are slipping for him. Yeah. Well, and it's also kind of unfair that, oh, sure. When Dumbledore thinks in stories, he's crazy. But when I do it, I'm just enjoying the moment. <laughs> yeah. And then I was like, I think it was again, it wasn't super quotable, but there was another. I don't know if it's just that my paranoia levels are up or, or it does feel like things are being like words are being chosen in specific ways that the because there were twice he uses the phrase time and past time when and he's referring to it in terms of the is i think this is uh with like picard let me see if i can find it i don't recall though that it fit well within the sentence other than he used the phrase but he was like oh and it's time and past time that such and such happens because we're in you know this part of the narrative of my life um and then the second time he says it, then for now, at least in this still innocent moment, it seems time and past time for him to experience that pain, like casting off the cl- clothes too small for him. Um, those just stuck out as like, because I mean, it's kind of a cool little phrase, something, something very British sounding about time and past time. Um, but and I don't know, like at all, but to me, it tied in with um, like the, his, I don't know, it's because we've been getting this weird little uh, puzzle thing in the background. So it's, uh, it, it seems like, oh, we're, we're referring specifically to time here in a way that it's like reminding me of the time turner trickery he has done. And it's a bit like that game, the, 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 our first like exposure to the whole time travel thing um, with him, like, you know, putting himself in his own game and controlling himself from after the fact. Um <laughs> It's just I I don't know if like just subconsciously there's been there's been too many things pinging about time so I don't even know what to make of it but my paranoia my my spider sense is tingling that like time travel seems to be more important than just a plot device so I like that that yeah. reminds me I got a uh, speaking of time travel shenanigans uh, people in Discord are quick to point out and I think you're absolutely right that Harry first had the conversation with Padma in the last uh, episode and then went back in time and used all of, like the uh, the, the secrets and stuff that she shared with him to, you know, spook her as the ghost. Mm-hmm. So I'll be uh, the first to admit that my mind does not go there easily. So I didn't think of it that way. I, I always... couldn't even like, I couldn't even untangle that. I just like in my, my brain was just like, okay. And then time travel allowed him to do whatever needed to be done right here. And like, that was too sticky to try to make that fit into the narrative as it unfolded. I'm convinced that all right. Give me a pen and paper in five minutes, and I can yeah. put this together. But yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun. That was, that was like the shorthand my my brain did. It's like okay, you can make this work out, and that's just like an exercise left to the student. <laughs> yeah, perfect. <laughs> all right, and for your homework, come back with with a time diagram of how the fuck this works. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, was, so, it was fine. Something yeah. that'd be a fun exercise. It's like trying um, to trying to recreate the uh, plot to uh, Pulp Fiction. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like eight different timelines. That reminds me, there's also a, uh, all right, another quick side sidebar. Uh, Comedy Central does like those roasts every year, mm-hmm. um, of which they are of radically varying quality. Uh, <laughs> I've watched I don't know, three or four of them because they keep putting out new ones on, on YouTube for free. And, and um, some of them are squirmingly uncomfortable. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, so I just watched the one of Bruce Willis, and they made some uh, some Pulp Fiction jokes. Mm-hmm. And overall, it wasn't that good. Luckily, the best one that I've seen is the one that's been on YouTube for the longest, and it's free. It's the roast of Justin Bieber. So. I haven't seen that one. Oh, my God. You're in for a treat. It's the only mm-hmm. one where I thought everyone was really funny. <laughs> I think for when they had, um, what's his name? The guy who played uh, the super cheerful guy in Parks and Recreation. Um, he was in the West Wing. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, for God's sake. Why am I blanking on this? Blanking on his name. Doesn't matter. Uh, the guy who goes like, and Perkins, and has the double guns, and he's always energetic. Rob Lowe. Uh, yeah. Rob Lowe. Oh, Rob Lowe. Okay. I'm like, yeah, I, for some my brain was stuck on Bradley Whitford. I'm like, he wasn't in Parks and Rec. I only, I only watched it a few times. So. Yeah, his his was weird. Um, it had uh, Ann Coulter as one of the the roasters. And <laughs> not, she, not the roastee. No, not the roastee. Although part of what they do is when they the people get yeah, there to other, roast, yeah. they roast everyone else. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Pete Davidson did some good roasting on her. It was hilarious. But she just got up, propped. This was during the 2016 campaign. She got up propped her book about how awesome Trump is on the stand and just like said, you guys are all idiots and he's great. Um, not, not Rob Lowe, Trump. And it was like, mm-hmm. why did they even ask her to come? Like, I don't, this isn't a politics yeah. thing. It's more just like, you guys know who's watching. You guys know mm-hmm. everyone else who's there. Why'd you bring on somebody that you, she got booze? Like yeah. it, it was, it was wild. So even for that, it was just interesting. I think that's probably why they brought her on. That's a good point. So. All right. And back to your regularly scheduled program. So sorry for that. <laughs> But if, if anyone's, I'm, I'm trying to plug random things people do to kill some hours because we're all, you know, stuck inside during the apocalypse. That's true. So if you like. Honestly, I, th- I think that's why people listen for us that's to like go off on random tangents. <laughs> yeah, they've they read the that's book. The th- that's the theory I'm going on, at least. Um, yeah, if you're looking to kill some hours and you don't mind some uh, potentially extremely offensive comedy, then that's a good way to go is those Comedy Central roasts. All right. So, like you said, Mission Impossible style. Well, actually, I kind of like it. It's kind of fun. Harry's got his uh, port key in the form of a small twig. So then he just snaps mm-hmm. it and boom, he's dropped into a thunderstorm and uh, he's flying above the North Sea and he's already on his broom. And um, Yeah, I, I really like this. Um, not out of any sense of importance to the plot or anything or or even like that the writing was you know particularly high quality wasn't bad, but the, just the the visual visual is the wrong word the vibe to the whole thing of like riding their broomsticks through a storm over the north sea towards the you know prison island um was a really cool just like the whole scene being drawn was just really neat like and sudden like tone change uh and even like there was nothing even you know like this very much in the original books like there were there were things like they're they're flying around on a dragon when they you know, escape from Gringotts. There were things kind of like this, and they're in the oh my god, the, uh, the flying that. car. Yeah, but they didn't feel. They felt like way more, you know, like children's cartoon vibe to it. And this one felt like a lot more, just kind of like, like you know, breaking into the like a James Bond movie or something. Yeah, it's I cool. agree. I like that. And it does paint like a cool picture. Like you yeah. know, if they this isn't as whimsical as flying in on a dragon. This is like yeah. all right. It's cold. Harry describes how. Not only, you know, like, it's not just cold, it's wet, and the wet gets yeah. in everywhere, and I'm freezing, and the fun's already wearing off, and, like, it, it's not fun immediately, right? Yeah. Uh, also, quick side note, if anyone's listening to the audiobook, this was my first claim to fame on uh, with my voice on the air. I got to do the voice of Polygeus Professor Quarrel. Nice. Do it for yeah. me. I sounded just like this. Oh. Yeah. Fine. It, it, yeah, disappointing. That's uncanny. Uh, yeah, no, I did a great job. I'm I'm doing a great impersonation of the guy who did the audiobook version of Polyjuice Professor Quirrell right now. I do a terrible impression of me. I listen to these recordings after the fact. I'm like, I don't know who that guy is. He sounds like he smokes. 
<laughs> I feel like you would have done a better voice with the <laughs> the low and gravelly voice. Uh, maybe you can just hear the beard too. There's no beard in my <laughs> hear voice. Hear the beard. See, so. and my 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 voice doesn't sound gravelly to me when you know in my head it sounds totally normal and higher pitched. Apparently, in my, in my head, my my voice is neither as gravelly or as deep. Hmm. In my head, I'm just a pretty pretty princess. Oh, it's a good voice. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. So. So, like, but so I, and I get like, maybe I was just like focused on like the descriptions. It also, also felt like all very gray. Um, but yeah, so it's, it was, man. it's heavy. I know. Um, and then my little snarky thing was that I said, uh, cause Quirrell is this like floating green light. And so he's like evil Tinkerbell. <laughs> um, but I mean, was that, was that the description? Like even right from the beginning, like he's not ever flying on a thing. He's just kind of like this floating light thing. Or is he on a broom? I don't yeah, he he's, he's on, on a room. he's on a broomstick that's also invisible. Oh, okay. Oh, that's right. But like lesser invisible. Uh, um, I think I think it's probably disillusioned as well. Okay. Um, but like, yeah, but that's not like you could see their outlines in the rain. Yeah. But you know, yeah, could you true. see their outlines through the rain? Probably not. Yeah, probably. Um, um, but that's yes. a less that's a lesser invisibility than uh, invisibility cloak. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, the invisibility cloak keeps you. What was the, what did the notes say? Hidden, not just invisible, or something. Cha- yeah, or so, yeah, I don't know. So it's it's, got, it's it's also plot armor. That's right. It's bulletproof, <laughs> um, maybe. Um, but I like I like, and again, it's like it's the stick out like it totally fits like in your head. Like okay, he's super powerful. Or at least so in my head, like he's complete. I've completely Voldemortized him in in my head now. Um, but so it's all these like little demonstrations. Like this guy is like crazy powerful. And that doesn't strike anybody as odd, <laughs> you know, because especially like, I guess like Dumbledore is always more like, oh, we know he's powerful, but he hardly ever shows it. But like Quirrell is showing it all the time and it doesn't strike, you know, when Dumbledore does something like that in the books and in this time, everybody's like, oh, wow, Dumbledore is the most powerful wizard in the world. And when Quirrell does it, everybody's like, oh, yeah, whatever. Um, yeah. And at least, like in my head, like Quirrell's demonstrations of power have been a lot—not just more conspicuous, but like more power. Like Quirrell has done things of greater power than Dumbledore has so far. And like even before you're Voldemort, Voldemort, Voldemortizing him—it's it's a good um, word, huh? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, a, it's a good one. <laughs> um, he was, yeah, he was doing crazy powerful shit. He has that star yeah. spell. He's got those whatever the TV spell for his classrooms and for the uh, battles. Um, it's. Yeah, he's he's been super badass the whole time. It's interesting. It's yeah, it's cool. Um, yeah, it's cool, and it's also like, and nobody, and it sort of works. Like, it, you would like, it, it works in that it's like it is weird and you know bad that nobody is saying anything about it, and that sort of like kind of makes it seem a little more supernatural. That like, how can he just pull this shit right out in the open and nobody's like, hey, dude, you're Voldemort. Um, <laughs> well, in, everyone, in everyone's defense, like the only reason that it occurs to us is because we read the canon books, yeah. right? Nobody is. And I think maybe, I think that's why though for us, why we're sort of like, it's okay for us to dismiss it. Um, and for like, at least like in my brain, it's like, okay, he can do that kind of powerful stuff because he's Voldemort. And but nobody's supposed to notice because that's supposed to be a secret. But in really looking, at, like if you were going to really look at it, it's like okay, why isn't everybody super puzzled that this guy's clearly like, you know, by demonstration the most powerful wizard at Hogwarts, and at least by reputation clearly the second most powerful wizard at Hogwarts, and nobody finds that strange. Which you would like be like, oh, okay, that's like inconsistent plot, blah blah blah. But no, it seems like it works as far as the like, oh, that's because he's fucking Voldemort and he's got everybody like mind fucked into not worrying about it. <laughs> I think 
if you were coming from a position of like not having any reason to suspect that the Dark Lord would be the professor at Hogwarts, then like you would just say, oh, wow, this guy's strong. This is the shade of that guy who's been dead for 10 years. Yeah, no, not that. But like, but nobody's even doing that. Nobody's like, wow, Quirrell is like amazingly strong. Like, because the levels of power that he's shown should be, because people do go like, oh, Dumbledore is the most blah, blah, blah. Nobody's doing anything. Like, like, nobody's even remarking. There's like, you know, kind of like in the moment remarking like, oh, that was impressive. Um, but like when he like, you know, knocks 200 girls to their feet, um, just cause, and everybody was like, "Holy shit! How did he do that?" Um, which, at least, for, like, I, I am choosing to interpret that as like part of like whatever kind of power he's got is that he's got the power of plot device, um, but but not really like like he's you know able to fuck with people's heads so much that there are things that ought to occur to them aren't. That's interesting. That would yeah. be a whole level of uh, I don't yeah. know. I, and power, I think like probably, right? yeah, and it, yeah, and I guess like. Probably what's really good, at least in my brain, what's really going on is just sort of like, well, people just aren't supposed to notice that, so they're not noticing that because that would be inconvenient to the plot. Um, but I think it also like works on the other level of like, you know, this is fucking Voldemort, and if he doesn't want to be seen, he's not going to be seen. Hmm. No, I, I like it. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, there's this nice little call out when they're flying, uh, getting their bearings, and it says, neither of them had spoken the other's name. You simply didn't use your names at any point during an illegal mission, even invisibly hovering over an anonymous patch of water in the North Sea. You simply didn't. It would be stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't think of, I mean, I'm sure it happens all the time, but, you know, in every uh, action break-in movie or whatever, they're just like, hey, Jeff, throw me the thing. And, Isn't um, that the, that's like the, the entire premise for some really bad comedy that's coming out right now, or that would have come out right now. Like they're running away from a crime and she's like, she calls his name and so now the person on the phone with the cops it looks really terrible like a terrible movie but I just haven't crossed my radar yet sounds interesting yeah. sounds like a fun it's trailer the, anyway does, yeah, yeah no no it looks really bad yeah good hold on glad I missed it um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah this is where he does this evil Tinkerbell thing which made me laugh and I because <laughs> yeah basically little green light yeah. um, and uh, they're yeah flying towards it and then uh Quirrell is already getting fucked up by the Dementors and uh, Harry explains his trick of like, no, no, just kind of imagine the stars like an occlumency barrier across your entire mind. And the Dementors will have trouble getting through that. And then there was silence for a moment and then interesting, which yeah, I thought that cool. was really good. Yeah. And yeah, a couple of ways that Quirrell's been sort of like when he like he needs Harry's help and he's not cool with that. Um, cause then a little bit later he's like, oh, well you could have done that faster, except he says it in a very like pompous, quirly way to say that. But, um, but then I, what really stuck out for me is like, oh, Harry is like, you know, giving pointers to Quirrell. Um, so I think that's like a way of like underlining, like this is a, you know, an unusual power Harry has. Yeah. And it's cool. Cause the, you know, it's imaginable that in some circumstances he'd let Harry help to like, let Harry imagine that he's contributing when in fact Quirrell had it under control the whole time. And yeah. yet I, I get the impression that this isn't a trick that Quirrell knew because how could he? Um, yeah. We, we, I think we're given the distinction impression when the Dementor came to Hogwarts that Quirrell is particularly vulnerable to them. So probably hasn't yeah. practiced different ways of resisting them, especially yeah. since he can't cast a Patronus charm. So this was a, he's like, Harry's actually contributing to the mission, which is kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. I did. I did read this as like, he's legitimately like weak in this area and needs Harry and does not like that. He needs Harry. 
Like that's like it, it bothers his ego that, you know, that he needs Harry to do these things. That's why he kind of talks shit to him about it. And the way like when Harry tells him something that's like important for how to like get his mind right around the Dementors and he says like, think of the stars. Um, yeah, his response to it is interesting, which is like for us, like an acknowledgement that like, oh, that was a significant thing that Harry just told him. But also this like kind of passive aggressive way for for Quirrell to, you know, not say thank you. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. like oh shit thanks that's much better it was like oh interesting yeah I, I i wasn't like i didn't read it because i wasn't primed that way but when you pointed out yeah. like yeah he could have said very good tip thank you mr potter that yeah. worked that that worked surprisingly well yeah. um instead yeah he's just like oh fuck i guess that helps yeah again because he's in this like you know constantly in like this power position over harry um and it's like a big part of his you know, the way he interacts with Harry is to make Harry feel like kind of dependent on him. So this doesn't fit that one at all. Yeah. So then Quirrell tells him basically, all right, cool. Wait here for exactly one minute and then fly through the top corner of this side of the building, which is described earlier is the opposite side. I think Azkaban's like a triangle. So it's not on the part of the triangle where there's the usual entrance. It's on obviously on the other part. And apparently Quirrell had like punched a hole in the roof and then, like magicked it to look like it was not a hole yeah. and then harry just flew through that and then sees the snake discolored on the ground and like cast your patronus and is like the first thing it says mm-hmm. it doesn't say hey thanks for coming you know obviously it's not going to explain pleasantries but it's clearly struggling yeah. and then harry uh tries to like put himself in the right headspace to cast the patronus and he's struggling for a minute because it's like well i can't save all these people i'm here to save just one but i'm here to save one and then that's you know he gets it yeah. he gets it out and then there's this nice kind of cool thing where the it wasn't glowing sun bright like the like it had before probably because harry hadn't been quite able to stop himself from thinking about all the other prisoners in their cells the ones he wasn't mm-hmm. here to save um and then it and i like how i like this this thing like he and he's all dialing it in to be like just the right amount of powerful that he think that he feels like he could sustain for a long time and but i like i realize as we're reading this like this is our first like this is harry's superpower um he's patronus man um like this is a the first that we're getting to see of like okay this is how this is gonna work and he's like dialing it up and dialing it down and 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 we, it can be used to ward off the mentors like we're like we had only seen it as this like sort of it was about itself like when we said it's like oh my god harry can cast a patronus as a person um and it wasn't like directed at a thing and this is like the first time we're like okay this is what you can do with it yeah. and this is how he does it no yeah that's kind of cool yeah. and and like you said it, like before it was like oh cool he's got this secret shotgun that he can use to kill the mentors yeah. that no one has and now it's it's this tool that is yeah. that it's not even one that because again if it was a secret shotgun you could say hey take this and point it at the Dementor but it's something yeah. that only he can do um, it's a uniquely Harry Potter power yeah so yeah then I this little beat about how um, he when he's tuning it down that it, now that it was as dim as he could get it without risking losing it it was only a little brighter than the brightest animal Patronus. <laughs> so it's like all right so it's as weak as i can get it and it's only better than the than, it's only a little better than the best one that's the the, the second best one <laughs> i like like the whole the whole vibe here like once they're in this totally feels like like a james bond movie like they just like repelled in through the window and now they're like you know taking their harnesses off and you know loading their weapons yeah. um it's got the yeah it's a very sort of like mission impossible vibe and then there's the, like you said, the condescending way that Quirrell says it. He's like, well done, if perhaps a trifle slow. Yeah. But then he says, hey, I can't even fill them at all. Um, 
which is uh yeah that that wasn't something that was given to us when he killed the other one and it's it is a remarkably like we, we it never came well actually it did towards the end where when harry was thinking about uh dumbledore being able to see the you know naked pale man beneath the cloak or whatever mm. that it has to reach you on some level through your patronus we were speculating about it before then because everybody on the field was in a bad mood harry was in a bad mood and like you know it was like the the it was like the patronuses were like lampshades over this you know anti-light that the dementor was shooting out but it was still getting through yeah with this it just seems to cast this bubble of like oh yeah no we can't see yeah, there. everything's cool yeah yeah, and it's, there was also there was something very much about like felt like oxygen like that they, like when he's the snake and like all weak and he's like hurry quick catch your patronus like the the feeling was almost like you know he went in there he's having to hold his breath and like Harry showed up with the oxygen. Yeah, um, and also did my permission. yeah yeah uh, oh yeah they're taking off their scuba suits. Um, it also like and the description as we were coming in talking about like okay the guards are on this side or whatever and uh, or the orers like they call them and it just that made me think of like okay that's got that's a fucked up job. Um, God, could you imagine? Yeah, like and yeah what and so it just just made me like and it's you know it's not it doesn't sound like it's important to this but it was like my brain went off on the on this little tangent of. Like, oh, what is that like? Do they have to be super powerful to be able to pull this off? And, you know, can they only do it for a week and then they need to, like, retire for the year or something? And, like, oh, that's funny. Because, like, all the description we put into, like, how, you know, horrible it is and, like, Voldemort can't even – Voldemort. I'm calling him Voldemort now. Coral, um, <laughs> <laughs> like, can't get close to it without it fucking him up. Like, oh, it's got to be a big deal to be an Auror at Azkaban. Yeah. I, I wonder, like – maybe the minimum requirement is they can cast a Patronus and like, then otherwise it's just like, all right, well, I don't, all right, all right, Jameson, you fucked up enough. You're going to go do Azkaban duty for a month. Mm-hmm. I want, I wonder if it's that, or if it's like, you know, these, these brave badasses who is like, I, I will take it upon me to bear the brunt of a Dementor for a fucking month. Um, mm. I can't imagine, like you said, whether it's a week or a month or whatever, that it's long stints. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, then, you know, the, I think I'll save some of those reflections for afterwards to, after this whole arc. Cause and then I think I can also save, uh, I'll save it for whenever we've got a short episode, I guess, in this arc. But the the arc name is the Stanford Prison Experiment, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll I'll shit all over that experiment whenever we get a free. <laughs> but I mean, we've already shit we've already shit up all over it a couple times, I think. Oh, good. Yeah, well, I know that yeah. one of them was on the um, uh, the retro episode of Matt, but we didn't talk yeah. about it much. Uh, I mean, for whatever reason, I I guess I don't have to spend ten minutes. I can spend thirty seconds and just say that. It has been bizarrely popularized well beyond its due as mm-hmm. far as anything that should be taken scientifically seriously. Um, I think it just hit pop culture really well, which, you know, it, yeah. it's it's shocking enough to do that. But it's not it, it's it's a, it's I don't know if it would be quite the exaggeration to say that it is like that Zimbardo is to social psychology what like Andrew Wakefield is to immunology. He was the the doctor who made up the vaccine autism thing and oh, okay. his license revoked and all that. Um, like Zimbardo, the guy who ran the Stanford prison experiment, he spent his entire career trying to push this narrative that, Oh no, the environment makes people bad. And uh, it's so, so everything that he's done has been with that in mind, not let's do this and see what I can find out. He's been trying to prove this the whole time. Yeah. And that that's just bad science. So um, now, am I remembering right that at the time this was written, we didn't know that about I, the Stanford prisoners? Oh, no, we did. 
I had to be doing that. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, it's the the details of it have been out for ages. I don't think that the author called it that because he thought it was this great piece of social psychology for the reason that it's uh, hailed in introductory psych books. Um, yeah, I think it it has uh, another relevant point that it's that it's drawing here, um, which is uh, you know we'll we'll see if we get to that. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, moving back to the chapter, so. Once, once they've got the Patronus under control and Quirrell's uh, person again, um, Polyjuice, I think we mentioned a couple of times, yeah. but Harry isn't because, and I liked the phrasing of it, it was like, being Polyjuice makes it harder to hit like your max level of magic or something, <laughs> and Harry might need all of it's, his little magic about him, just in case. Tra- it's draining his mana. Yeah, but I just like when Har- Harry might need all of his little, t- little magic about him. Um, <laughs> and we didn't know, like we, f- we figure out uh, once they get Bellatrix out, like what that was going on. But d- did we have any explanation for why Quirrell was polyjuiced? I just sort of assumed like, that uh, if you're going to commit a crime and polyjuice is around, why the hell wouldn't you? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so, yeah. I don't know. I mean, like once we get here, it's like, Oh, cause he, you know, he can't look like Quirrell in front of Bellatrix. Um, does Quirrell look point, like, like Voldemort? Uh, well, I don't, I'm just, at least in my, so I don't know the details, but I'm guessing like, to me, my, my read of it was he didn't want Bellatrix to recognize him. And that's why he had Harry looking like, well, and that, then I'm also in there. I'm like, okay, why, but why is Harry okay to look like Voldemort? So what the fuck is going on with this whole Voldemort connection? But, but yeah, at least my, like they were tr- like, all of that effort was to trick Bellatrix um and because she yeah at least in my head it's like okay she would look him that she would look at Quirrell and go oh Voldemort it's not clear to me why she would recognize Quirrell as Voldemort if indeed that's what she's supposed to see like because Dumbledore and and Minerva they've all seen oh yeah I guess they yeah everybody knows what Voldemort looks like and it's not Quirrell so he's the yeah I don't know he's the jackass with no nose and snake eyes right yeah Although we don't see, we don't have a description. We don't have a description at all of what Voldemort looks like in this world. Although we never really had, I don't ever recall from the books that Voldemort looked like Ray Fine Snake Man. But I think they describe him as pretty good Snake Man in the canon books. Mm-hmm. But you're right, we mm-hmm. haven't had a, a good exposition on what he's supposed to have looked like. Oh no, wait, we did. Yeah. Um, did we? When Quirrell was saying about we how got his, like his high voice his, and his long uh, fingers. Oh yeah, there was that for sure during during Harry's flashback in yeah. the crib. Um, and then when Quirrell was describing how Voldemort killed his martial arts sensei, that uh, he he showed up there not in disguise, glowing red eyes and all. Um, he had glowing red eyes? I didn't pick up on that. Well, yeah. I, I know. I guess like my brain filed that under, uh, you know, bullshit story Quirrell recited. <laughs> so I didn't I didn't treat it as like a, you know, a source of facts of the world. I wonder now if I'm remembering the golden red or the golden eyes as, uh, or not golden, glowing red eyes properly or not. Um I'll have to... Well, didn't... In the movie, he had snake eyes, didn't he? I honestly don't remember. He had, like, vertical snake eyes, I thought. I remember he had no nose. Yeah. Which, you Got know, your nose. I don't know what ritual he sacrificed his nose in, but we'll just ignore <laughs> that. So, basically... He's uh, snake man. The... Quirrell is disillusioned himself, and Harry is under the cloak, and so Quirrell's hitting the way with a green spark, and then there's just Mr. Glowy person walking down the hallway after it. Mm-hmm. And so if you've been watching from the outside, that's all you'd see, which is kind of funny. Just image wise, yeah. but it doesn't like it plays as it, it doesn't play as funny. Like it feel all this feels very yeah. serious, which I really like. Yeah, no, I felt like like high tension, like especially yeah, because I guess like 
you know, my, my brain is picturing like, okay, a whole bunch of dementors could suddenly come running down the hall or where the fuck are the guards in this place? Um, so yeah, I felt like high tension sneaky, like, like there would be tense music in the background. And this is supposed to be what, like an hour before lunchtime, right? What? Well, cause they, they went out to lunch and oh. then they went back an hour and then they came here. Oh, I have like no sense of time at all on this thing. Uh, I, I'm oh, just, yeah, I'm just speculating because you said we don't know where the guards are. I don't know when oh. they feed the prisoners, <laughs> but at some point someone's going to walk through and drop food in their cells, right? I guess so. Yeah, I guess I, like, it was a non-specific amount of time that they were, you know, in their fighter jets over the North Sea. So I'm now like completely... That and I guess also as I'm like self-reflecting on what I am picturing here, it's like rainy and gray, so the time of day is very difficult to tell. So, well, if we just play out the rest of the day, like, so, you know, it at the end, the last line of this uh, reading is fun. It, it implies that things don't all go according to plan, but we'll get there. But let's let's assume that it all does. Like, what would this look like when they get when they finish up their mission? Like Harry and Quirrell go out to lunch every weekend. So mm-hmm. presumably it's supposed to just look like them going out to lunch, right? Oh, yeah. So, so they need to get back in the afternoon sometime. Yeah. Well, and, if it, and this all feels like they were in and out with like in ten or fifteen minutes, you know. I yeah, it doesn't give us a good sense of how long. Um, uh, it feels like like they weren't. It's not like they were, you know. The only thing that makes me feel like, like I had to say like, longer. oh, where's the bathroom? Right. Yeah. <laughs> he never asked. Has he never has to pee? But um, the the only thing that gives me any impact of time is that uh, Death Eaters are kept near the bottom and they entered at the top, and so mm. they they've got a long ways to go down, and it. it does a good job of kind of just painting this this sad picture of this this horrible place that is lit yeah. by actual torches because magic would yeah, seep magic away from the dementors right. and um there's these big... and they really like and they um so it describes i think that i think it was just some spell that could, like oh a quietest charm or something so that they wouldn't hear the screams uh and then Voldemort has him cast a bubble head spell um what was it? What was it called? I can't remember. But um, I think that's so that what it's called. Yeah. Was it really? Yeah, the bubblehead charm. Uh, the line. Um, so that he couldn't smell anything. And I thought that was a really good like addition to it. They'll be like, "Oh, this is fucking nasty." Because you could just describe it as like, "Oh, there were screams and it looked dingy and there was water dripping from the blah blah blah." It'd be like, "Oh no, it smells so bad that we need to not smell it." Yeah, I get the impression that these prisoners aren't given shower breaks. Yeah. Uh, then again, maybe they're given a magical, you know. Uh, there's got to be some grime removing charm or something, yeah. but uh, and that's the good like uh, HP Lovecraft technique of you can make something worse by just saying you're not going to describe it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it it it. I completely agree. Um, there's there's a lot to be said for yeah. letting the mind fill in the blanks. Yeah. And uh, so, um, yeah, it, it kind of goes on to describe the layout and um, the how there's these big doors that behind which are a bunch of cells with like, you know, it's not just like one big door per person. It's like one big door per hallway. And there's a bunch of prisoners on every behind all of those. And, um, it's, I don't know. It, it just paints a really grim picture of this place. You know, no one's, one's and it's another good thing. It's like, um, and it's like, Oh, this is so bad that like, we're just walking by and it's so bad. You can't even really, you know, deal with, you can't, we better not listen to the screaming. You better not smell the God, whatever that smells like. Um, and don't look behind that door. Like that's like, this is all so bad. It's just like some sort of like, it's like you're walking through hell and it's like what imagined awful things are, you know, now everybody's standing on their head in a lake of fire. Yeah. 
Yeah, I I agree. I just I'm I'm pausing because I'm just thinking about it. It's nasty. It's it's yeah. very. Uh, it does a good job painting how grim this place uh-huh. is. Uh-huh. And uh, so let's see. Um, it describes how Bellatrix is near the bottom because she was a Death Eater. And uh, let's see. I'm trying to. I'm just trying to think of what parts here to hit. Um, apparently. Well, then Coral Coral starts talking about what Bellatrix was like um, before she was a Death Eater. Yeah, I think this is like a remembered conversation before, from before they took off. I don't get the impression they're they're yeah. chatting while they're walking through <laughs> here. Yeah. So, yeah, the, no, it's like, you know, Batman and Robin scaling the side of the building, carrying on a conversation <laughs> just because the cameras turn sideways. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, like, she, you know, she was a nice girl in school and everyone was surprised when she went to go serve the Dark Lord. And um, the Dark Lord had broke her, shattered her and reshaped her. And... Now that he now that he's dead, her nightmare is still continuing, and um, it, it's, yeah, this is all really interesting to like. Is again, I'm like, you know, then reinterpreting everything as like, okay, this is Voldemort saying all this, like, in the same way when he did describe as like, you know, murdering everybody in the in the you know Himalayan kung fu palace, um, that he's like describing the things Voldemort has done with like notes of disapproval, or so he's like very much just like disconnected. Like how does that like who is this guy, um, and what is like what is his like, is that are these just lies to you know fool everybody or is he got some kind of weird you know schizo relationship with his own past because it seems like like some of his disapproval of things or his you know or, and his sympathy for Bellatrix like those those plays like they feel authentic um, so then that's put like some weirdly out of place like okay well, how does that fit then if this guy's Voldemort. Yeah, and I think we, we mentioned before um, in the last episode that, like, at this point in the the reading community, there was disagreement on whether or not Quirrell was Voldemort. And I found myself, I wasn't in the community yet, so by myself when I was reading this, I wasn't sold on it yet. Like, clearly something was going on, and clearly yeah. we were primed to think that. But he, he's so disdainful of Voldemort. Yeah. And, like, you know, he, he, he talks shit about him. He's like, oh, yeah, they're easy to bait because it's, you know, they're they're quick to anger, and that's an exploitable weakness, and... Um, you know, Voldemort went there to go learn how to fight. And he left without a single lesson because he couldn't hold his fucking temper. Like it, yeah. he's, it's, it's an interesting dynamic for sure. Yeah. Um, I wonder, um, cause like, as this is being written, um, you don't know where you are in an arc of a story. Cause like, as I'm reading this, I know like, okay, we're on chapter 53 and there's what, hundred and whatever. Um, like I know I, just because it is a done thing you know where you are in the plot um and so that and i think that's like a big part of because it's like okay we're too far into this for okay voldemort's definitely part of the story and we're too far into it for him to be introduced out of nowhere um so but but if that's not like you don't know if it's being you know if it's in the act of being written you don't know that and so then i think it probably is i mean it's not i guess i more we talk about it the more it seems like okay it's got to be but Oh, I see. Um, I, I, I'm sorry. Took me a second to put. Yeah, you would know. Like, like a lot of what I'm going on is, is the very strong uh, inference I'm allowed to make uh, about where we are in the plot, and it's not so much about what something that's been said. It's just like the logical result of wh- where things have got to be. Um, right. When this was coming out, people weren't told. Yeah, by the way, there's a hundred and umpteen chapters. Yeah. 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 yeah so we're were, we're about told. a third of the way through. Yeah. Yeah, we don't know. Yeah. I think we're about forty-four percent. Actually, I checked last week. Roughly. Yeah. 44.3. Well, there's there's a spreadsheet of when each chapter came out and then what percentage of the book it is the way through. So, 
Mm. Um, in any case, uh, they basically is just Harry going through this kind of loop of trying not to think about other people, and then that the Patronus would dim and fade, and um, it then there's another line break, and it's just they've descended many times, and uh, they came finally before a final metal door, and uh, they were at the bottom, and so it. It does, you know, explicitly they can't feel the Dementors, but Harry thinks to himself that the shadows of death were very close at hand. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess if Azkaban's a triangle, maybe it's a hollow triangle, and there's this pit in the middle. Yeah, I didn't pick up on that. That like visual didn't stick out for me until you said I was like, oh yeah, I guess like I think I had like the back of my brain had both a triangular and a rectangular Azkaban that didn't quite. Uh, you couldn't reconcile them, but my brain didn't, you know, worry about it. Yeah, I, I think I just pictured the, you know, I pictured them flying towards this thing outlined by yeah. lightning in the sky and stuff. And so my mind put a picture together for me. Um, so this is interesting. I mean, I'm doing all the summarizing. You're all going to do some of the summarizing if you want, but uh, it's... No, I just like interrupting you. Great. I'll keep, I'll keep rolling. <laughs> but by all means, I think we should take more turns. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, this, this part is, was especially from where you're at kind of funny, um, because you're, you're on the, you know, you're calling him Voldemort train. So there's this line where, um, basically Quirrell opens the lock and, uh, he says the hard part wouldn't be pretending to get, wouldn't, wouldn't be the pretending, uh, to get the personality right enough to fool Bellatrix. The hard part would be keeping his, his Patronus up at the same time. And we're kind of getting it like doled out to us what the plan is going to be and so yeah. harry peeks in and he says i see nothing and parcel tongue the snake comes back and says she is alone and harry's just able to think stay to his patronus and it just kind <laughs> of stands guard which like i think is that. kind of fun and uh so then harry goes in there and see where was and she looks line? like a she looks like a corpse right yeah he thinks that she might be dead so harry goes in there and he has to like deliberately steady himself and that's when you said, yeah, she looks like a, a skeleton and uh, mm. it just describes how, you know, she's just pale. And obviously, if they, they if they were feeding her, she wasn't eating that much or if she was, the Dementors drained it and yeah. uh, her eyes are all sunken. Her lips are shriveled and to close over her teeth. And like, she's just this it looks like a corpse and that's depressing as all fuck. Oh, I, I heard this I gross that- thing. I just learned that apparently you can get so dehydrated that your eyeballs wrinkle. Great. Isn't that gnarly? So that's what I, I think I had read, I read that recently as I was reading this. I'm like, and so my, my head went there. I wonder Isn't that what gross? do to your vision. Probably, I know. It's just gross. Probably adverse. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, we forgot to mention too, one of the grotesque things that Azkaban does, apparently you serve out your sentence. And if you die in your cell on your eight of oh, 10, yeah. they leave your body in there for two years. If it's a life sentence. They uh, just leave your corpse in there until they need the cell. And they just throw your bones into the Dementor's pit. Like how That's fucked funny. up is this place? I know. Well, I, know. I also got the same, like, it's sort of like it's the Hogwarts rules of, and there's just lots of unused space all over the place. So they'll probably just, you know, there's probably some civil war era wizard's corpse lying around. Yeah. At least, Part, part of me, I guess, hopes so, because you don't want to imagine that they're hitting capacity issues in the hell prison. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, anyway, Harry's able to stay himself by thinking, all right, look, I'm here to save her. I'm here to save her. I'm here to save her. And 
then he, uh, it says, a cold expression came over Harry's face, invisibly beneath the hood. Hello, my dear Bella. Did you miss me? Mm-hmm. Well, right before that was the line that stuck out big for me. It says, and in another part of him, like he was just letting another part of his mind carry out a habit without paying much attention to it. And then he then he says that to Bellatrix, and I'm like, hello. Um, so I don't know. So there's something going. This is this was the one that made me think like, okay, there's there's this whole Harry Voldemort thing uh, is something. Um, and so I'm not sure what that like. Yeah, that like Voldemort's in his head. Um, but yeah, the fact that like it's being tied here directly that like, oh, there is a Voldemort in here, and you were just having to let him out. Um, that- yeah, I'll be honest. That honestly didn't jump out at me. Um, yeah. I, I yeah, like he was I, letting another part of his mind carry out a habit without paying much attention to it. Yeah, I I don't even know how I skimmed past that on the my most recent read or what my impressions were before. Yeah, no, that seems fairly compelling. I mean, yeah. the only other thing could be that he was he had been thinking in the background. Okay, here's the personality I'm going to have to pretend, yeah. and I, I need to keep my real focus on the on the on the me that's holding the Patronus up. Yeah. And, well, yeah. And, and how it came to me was that he, he didn't have to like this was just automatic. Like, yeah, it would have made sense for him to have to do that. And he didn't. Um, and that especially like because in the next, next chapter, like at least to me, that like his imitation of Voldemort was very effortless and convincing. Um, so, yeah, those kind of like fit together for me. Huh. And again, like I'm not sure where this is going. Like, yeah, I don't know. No, but, I like that a lot. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, like, it's like, okay, there's something developing here, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure where it's going. Cool. No, I can totally dig it's it. It's time travel, and Quirrell is future Harry. And, <laughs> and there is no Voldemort. And Dumbledore is Harry's grandpa. Dumbledore but... is Voldemort. Oh, of course. Yes. Yeah. All right. So, have so, we ever seen? We haven't seen the back of Dumbledore's head. <laughs> It's covered by hair all the time. <laughs> that sly bastard. <laughs> He's got his own, like, quato on the back of his skull. It's perfect. The, the perfect plan. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, chapter 53 opens up, and it's just Bellatrix saying, um, oh, I seems little Bella has gone going mad. And it's, uh, it's kind of sad, obviously, um, but... Like if you're, you just imagine like this this skeletal person talking to you, and it's almost like the horror plays up with the sad, in it, right? Yeah, uh, I guess. Yeah, I guess I lost track. Uh, not that I lost track, but like my my, I didn't, I wasn't fixating so much on her. I think I restored her to basically like fucked up, but basically okay uh, as I was reading this. So yeah, now I hear what you're saying that, but yeah, I guess I'm, I my my brain walked away from that visual. Mine did too, honestly. It wasn't until we just read it and then you mentioned this shrunken eyeballs thing that really put it together <laughs> for me. So, um, yeah. So I, yeah. Well, you know what it is? Because I'm reading my notes about this and I, I don't, I'm like 65% sure this is on purpose, but because totally because of the movies um, and I think that uh, Bellatrix is Helena Bottom Carter in my head. Like you can't like that. She just is the same person. Same. Um yeah, I didn't know and her name. I think also because yeah, yeah. just like um, Maggie Smith being Professor McGonagall. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, um, I think also because uh, because it was Helena Bonham Carter, they made her a bigger character in the movie. Than, I don't recall her being super major in the books. Um, there was a thing at the end with Dobby, blah blah blah. But um, she kills Sirius Black too. Oh yeah, is that her? Yeah, 
but she feels like she's a, like a. I uh, know I'm totally confusing the book and the movie. I can't remember which was which, but good point. Um, yeah, I can't. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, me either. Um, uh, but so what was because especially because it's such a like a weird their whole little plot here we don't know and we are only discovering as they are doing it like oh okay wait harry's gonna pretend to be voldemort and voldemort's gonna pretend to be najiffy um and i think he's but, uh, I, I, I think oh, he's be, just like a snake but yeah yeah the, to be clear that the snake being uh an actual animagus um in what nagini or nagini however you say it that wasn't until the most recent movie came out which is this. no, yeah, no, not that, but that. Um, well, because from uh, Bellatrix's point of view, what what this looks like to her is that Voldemort and Nagini uh, have walked in, uh, and it's feeling like that, and saying. that's the trick. The trick, yeah. yeah. Well, I see, but wouldn't she? At least for me, that like that was part of the trick. Like they were trying to like that makes the whole thing look more convincing. It's like okay, here's Voldemort and his snake, and all right, let's go, Bellatrix. Um, the thing that anyway, the thing that I'm like not entirely sure is an uh, an inside joke here is because and that's why I got on a Helena Bonham Carter um, is that so it's Helena Bonham Carter talking to somebody who is not Voldemort that she thinks is Voldemort and somebody else in the room that is Voldemort that she doesn't think is Voldemort and that is so much like Fight Club that I'm thinking it's got to be on purpose because her char- her character in Fight Club is fucking both. Uh, Brad Pitt and Edward Norton and there is like there isn't like any like explicit sexual thing but there is like there's some sort of like male female like romantic is the wrong word for it but there is like this connection between Quirrell Voldemort uh, and Bellatrix that's like because she sort of like worships him there is like this sexual is the wrong word but there's like there's this like worship is a good word yeah for it. but a yeah. gender yeah worship but, but a like a boy girl element to it um yeah, she loves him, and he yeah. uses her. And so, like to me, it feels like this is just weirdly similar, uh, especially like the part of like, oh, like who you are talking to is not who you think you are talking to. Um, and I totally like, forgot that that was the same here. chick from Fight Club. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah. Good. That's one of my favorite movies. There was um, a recent Doofcast episode on it, and a super old Doofcast episode on it. Hmm. I think it was like the third or fourth episode, and then they were going through who directed that again. They're gonna hate me. Um, uh, I don't remember. Doesn't matter. The David Fincher, is that it? Uh, you know, I'm not sure, actually. Maybe. In any case, they were going through a director's series, and they did Fight Club again. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's fresh This on one mind. is too bad where, like, the movie ruins the book, or the book ruins the movie. You can't, like, you have to choose. I'll, I'll be fair. I haven't read the book, and I didn't Looks really love good, the movie. pretty good, actually. Yeah. Maybe I'll give it a shot. Um, um, yeah. So, this was, uh, so, at the, at the end of the last chapter, we didn't really know what the hell was going on. We know that, like, okay, that's super off-putting. Harry's pretending to be Voldemort, and this is weird. And now it's coming out that, okay, yes, this is the plan. Quirrell had instructed Harry how to act and how he must act in Bellatrix's presence and how he thought of Bellatrix. And so um, this is how this is a facade you have to put up. You know, you found it expedient or perhaps just amusing to make Bellatrix fall in love with you, to bind her to your service. And he says that love probably would have persisted Azkaban, because to Bellatrix it wouldn't be a happy thought. So she loves you utterly and completely, and you do not return her love, but you consider her useful, and she knows that. And so talk to her like she's a very valuable tool. And so that's why Harry says, I hope you're not mad, Bella, dear. Mad is not useful. And then... Yeah, also, as I was reading this, like, Harry, are you fucking crazy? Does this not seem weird to you? 
Yeah, the uh, the the red flags um, are sirens right now, right? <laughs> yeah, the fact that Harry spider sense like, isn't oh, tingling. Like, yeah. You know, it's in it's interesting because mine aren't quite either when I read this. Like when I'm immersed well, in it, like, it, like we're, we're swept it, yeah. up in it the same way he is. He's like, I'm on a quest to save a damsel in distress. And we're yeah, like, this is awesome. So You're on a quest yeah, to save a damsel in distress. Like it's, it's perfectly done to not just like appeal to Harry's, like, I want to be a grown up with, you know, here, you know, be a hero and stuff. It appeals to us doing that well as well. Right. Yeah. And it's not until we're talking about it now that I'm realizing like I, I kind of did, but now it's like, how the fuck would Quirrell know any of this stuff? Like, and why and isn't that like blindingly obvious? And why isn't Harry like, how the fuck do you know that? Um, and he just doesn't ask. And, and it's, it really is like he's gone into this like, you know, hypnotic state of being like, you know, eerily good at um, imitating Voldemort and it, like in talking very differently in a way that's not at all, not just not at all like Harry, but it doesn't even, it doesn't even feel like, oh, here's Harry imitating some somebody. Um, and if we especially we don't see that like oh and Harry thought that maybe this would be what Voldemort would say it's like no he's just totally like channeling Voldemort he's um, really good at pretending to be Voldemort yeah, yeah yeah it's it's interesting there there is the line like Harry does rationalize it a little bit with why Quirrell knows all this stuff yeah so when he's giving Bellatrix the password she says those who do not fear the, those who do not fear the darkness then the snake hisses will be consumed by it and then Harry says will be consumed by it. And Harry didn't want, particularly want to think about how Professor Quirrell had gotten that password. His yeah. brain, which thought about it anyway, suggested that it had probably involved a Death Eater, a quiet, isolated place, and some lead pipe legilimency. And <laughs> lead it's like, all right, cool. So you think that the guy you're on running your, your, your quest master here, all right, so maybe he's, you know, maybe he's an okay guy, but he captured a Death Eater and basically beat them, beat their brain into mush with legilimency to, to steal all their knowledge. And uh, great, he's going to guide you through Azkaban to save... Uh, the damsel in distress. Um, yeah. It, well, would the th- like um, in the in the spirit of trying to disprove your own hypothesis, what would the theory be here? Like, and because I'm picturing like, okay, the fans in disagreement over whether or not he's Voldemort at this point. How do you explain this in a way like he's okay? He's not Voldemort. Then how would he know all this? So if I, I think I'd go with basically what Harry's thinking here. Like, you know, he had captured Death Eaters and or at least one and had beaten this knowledge out of them and as as for why he wants to say bellatrix black um you know so again if we're running with the supposition that it could be that she's actually innocent you know maybe maybe quirrell is related to her or something that wasn't actually my guess my guess was that um in fact i think uh you know i think that there's some speculation on this later in the like in this arc between he, you know, in, in the, in the text itself. So maybe I'll save my speculations all after that. But at the time, I think I just read through this and was just swept up in it. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, cause it? I mean, it's not until we're like talking about it now that this stuff isn't occurring to me, especially cause the, um, his description to Harry of like, okay, like he's like, okay, here's your motivation. Um, right. Like, he's directing. You know, <laughs> yes. Yeah, he's directing how to play the character. It's very, it's not like, it doesn't read as like, uh, like, oh, here's this thing I learned. It's not, it's not like dry and factual. It's very much like, you know, here's the emotional state you're in right now. Right. Um, so very, it like totally feels like a description from the person that went through it and not a thing you heard about by beating up goons. It sounds like he wrote it and directed it and isn't just yeah. directing it. Yeah. yeah, it's it's definitely there. Here's the line I was trying to think of that was I thought was in the last chapter that I thought was kind of funny. Um, 
So first off, there's the the line here. It's a little before the password thing where um, the snake says, you know, show her your face. And because uh, she says, I waited for you, but you didn't come and I, I couldn't find you. And then he shows her her face and she says, the scar, that child. And he says, so they all still think you looked for me in the wrong place, Bella dear. And then in parentheses, there's this line where Harry had asked Professor Quirrell why he had to be the one to play the part of the Dark Lord. Professor Quirrell had pointed out that there was no plausible reason for him to be the possessed by the shade of he who, he who must not be named. Mm. Which, if you're on the Quirrell as Voldemort train, is hilarious. Because then Voldemort's just saying, there's no reason I'm Voldemort. Yeah, but, exactly. but it's perfectly plausible for you to be Voldemort. Well, I, and I'm realizing, I must have, like, my, my subconscious is mostly who read this, um, that... Uh, that I had registered is like, oh, it's okay because she's going to think Harry is Voldemort. Um, and I don't know why that, the significance of that did, because like, that wasn't a, like a shocking surprise. Like, okay, because that like weird Voldemort connection he's got, um, that he's got a, you know, if there's some part of Voldemort that he's just channeling, that then it's going to be fun. like, she's going to see him um, and go like, oh, okay. Yeah. That's what Voldemort looks like. Um, and not at all be like weird, but like, oh, Voldemort looks like an 11 year old boy. Um, but there is something like it sort of fit in my head. That's like, oh no, it's okay. Like Harry is a suitable stand in for Voldemort because of whatever Voldemortness um, he's got going on in him, even to the extent this like doesn't consciously make sense. But like the way my brain filled in the gaps was um, that when Helena Bonham Carter looks at him, um, she's going to see the Voldemort she's expecting to see. Hmm. Now, I wonder if that's just like some, if Coral's just like pulling some voodoo magic um, just to make her see what he wants her to see. I mean, she recognizes, yeah. she says the scar, that child. So it's like she is seeing yeah, Harry so Potter. She does that. Yeah, that's true. But she just recognizes, uh, yeah, I guess he's like, uh, he speaks to her in a very uh, Voldemorty way. But but she's like fully on board from the beginning. Like, oh yeah, there's Voldemort. Yeah, she she does hit him with the password after. Yeah. Um, but that's that's it, right? Yeah. So then it doesn't take much more to sell her on it. So yeah. um, the 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 next thing that she says is your wand. I took it from the potter's house and hid it, my lord. And then uh, I'm just paraphrasing, but she says to the right of your father's grave. And then this is the part that's like sad and it makes Harry's heart wrench. And um, and it, that's what I like is that he's he's putting on this mask of Voldemort, but he's yeah. he's still suffering. So like yeah. she says, will you kill me now? I think i always wanted you to kill me but i can't remember that it must have been a happy thought which what a fucked up happy thought <laughs> I know. and so that that's what that's what hits him and he's like jesus fucking christ this poor woman and then he's like he channels that instead of like trying to cr- trying to hide his crying he channels it into a flicker of annoyance and he says enough foolishness you're to come with me bella dear unless you prefer the company of the dementors and then he says to the snake you'll need to float her out she can no longer think of escaping because she's just sitting there in puzzlement. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, I, I can't quite imagine what it'd be like to sit there with all your happy memories sapped. Like this is more intense yeah. than what Dementors did in the canon version. Um, it's not even happy memories. It's like happy thoughts. And like any thought yeah. of getting out and leaving would be kind of quick to go. It's like, oh, I guess yeah, this so is my yeah. life now. And I she's live like, in hell. Yeah. yeah. And she's like not even sure what she thinks anymore. Right. Yeah. And then Kroll says, all right, yeah, I'll float her out. But um, this, again, yeah, does this weird, yeah, it's like, I, it struck me as strange where he's like, oh, you shouldn't underestimate her just like you shouldn't underestimate me with this, like, you know, implied, like, just because we'll, you know, we'll cut a bitch if we feel like it. Um, and it was this weird, like, threatening tone towards Harry, which was, like, out of place. It seemed weird. 
Yeah, that's definitely one read on it. I yeah. I think I, I took it the other way where or another way where like he's kind of just flexing. He says, "Don't underestimate her. She's yeah. a deadly warrior. One would be wise not one would be wise to fear me, even if I were starved and nine tenths dead. Be yeah. wary of her. And now allow no single flaw in your pretense. So it's not him threatening her. He's saying she's a threat. Yeah. And so you you yeah. can't you can't let up. Yeah. Uh, but he he does manage to flex while he's saying it. So yeah. Uh, yeah, there's been, I know it fits too with the, like, like it's another case of like Quirrell does not like being, you know, not in the driver's seat. But he um, plays the servant really well. So he, yeah. he comes in faltering. He's like, my Lord. And he yeah. says, do as you are instructed. And then Harry gives this line about don't, don't let your Patronus falter. Remember, if I do not return, there'll be no reward for you. And it'll be long before your family is allowed to die. And, um, <laughs> Then the cringing servant, you know, opens the opens the door, and um, what did you think of what they did in here? So they they made a uh, like a doll that they took like a drop of her blood and then lay the doll on the floor, and then the the servant does this. Yeah, this yeah. So basically, they make like a, a dummy version of her yeah. that's a corpse, and put her clothes on it, and then he just like, you know, conjures some robes up for her to to wrap around her corpse body. Um, yeah, I thought it was cool. What what kept sticking out in my head was like, oh, he's supposed to be like he's busting out all this like quarrel magic, um, but he's pretending to be, you know, just like the peon. Um, and apparently, what else is good because according to this, the, the trick they're trying to pull is that this servant dude that Quirrell's pretending to be is the one like his main reason for being there is that he's the one that can cast a Patronus, right? Yeah, I think so. Like that's that's the that's the pretense, and it just struck me as weird. As like, okay, like that's kind of an important job, and like, and that takes a decent amount of power to be able to do. Um, so it's, it seems strange. as like, oh, but theoretically, it's just some you know goon is able to do it. But I guess they just sort of like they're just going to play down for her in her uh, in her muddled state. She wouldn't really occur to her that like, oh, this one dude is able to cast up enough of Patronus to get us out of here. Yeah, and I guess you know maybe if you're thinking about it with the one tenth of a brain you have left you're just thinking like oh okay well i guess he you know the dark lord captured someone powerful to do this because this is obviously Mm -hmm. a hard thing to do so um they they do this kind of convoluted sounding thing where like you said so they they take her clothes and put them on the doll and then they give her like actual robes and Mm -hmm. then the servant store tore a small strip of cloth from the dress and then from his own robes, he produced an empty flask with small traces of golden fluid on its inside. And the flask was oh, concealed yeah, in the corner good. with a strip of skirt laid over it. Yeah, I, you know, I, I glossed over. I didn't put, I, I did have that like in the back of my head that like, okay, what the hell's going on there? But then just dropped away. So do, it, we don't know at the end of this what the hell that was, do we? No. It, yeah, it, it's just some weird, yeah, I had that in the back of my head. It's like, okay, what's going on there? Yeah, so it's, it's kind of, uh, it's implied, because then we get a line break after, uh, so the servant turns Bellatrix invisible, then himself, and then they left. And then there's just nothing but the flask sitting there and the fresh corpse. And then there's a kind of like a... Uh, Is that supposed to be the good luck potion? What was that stuff called? Oh, Felix. Fel- I, I'm Felix not sure. Felix. That's a good guess. That, it seems like that's maybe the, like, that's the alibi. Well, except no, she's supposed to be dead. I don't know. Or yeah. is it supposed to be that she committed suicide with it? I, I guess... We'll have to see if it it spells it out for us because right now it is completely all we know, or at least I can suspect from here, is that it's part of their quote perfect crime. Yeah. And like right now you're looking at it like, the fuck is going on? Why would you do? Okay. Uh All right. Well, let's see where this goes. Um, 
Oh, he also gives her a bottle of chocolate milk. So that's important oh, yeah. because chocolate milk is great. And I really Delicious. want them right this second. Right <laughs> now I'm drinking this fucking like fruit smoothie, like prepackaged and it's fine, but it's no chocolate milk. So um, anyway, uh, two, the two of those described together is suddenly really unappetizing. Yeah, that's true. Your chocolate, chocolate milk fruit punch. Ugh. <laughs> the closest I get to that is like five times a week. I'll have like a protein drink that I'll grind a banana into. So um, anyway, uh, line break to like kind of before they left. And it says earlier in the deserted shop, Professor Quirrell told Harry that they're going to commit the perfect crime. Harry had unthinkingly started to repeat back the standard proverb that there is no such thing as the perfect crime before he actually thought about it for two thirds of a second and remembered a wiser proverb and shut his mouth mid mid sentence. What do you think you know? And how do you think you know it? If you did commit the perfect crime, nobody would ever find out. So how could anyone know that there weren't perfect crimes? And as soon as you looked at it that way, you realized perfect, per- perfect crimes probably got committed all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so that's kind of a just... Again, when you, when you switch the lens to be paranoid, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Oh, yeah. I like this. Another one of those, like, his very sort of television uh, endings. Like, we get this, like, cut out to a, you know, a tonally very different scene that's kind of small and not, you know, it's not a fully fleshed out scene. It's not even so much a scene, but um, these, these, like, good little transitions into the next chapter. Yeah. Do you want to go ahead and lead us into the next chapter, then read the last couple paragraphs of the uh, this one? I didn't pull a quote, actually, for it. You got it. You got it in front of you? I do. I... Um, basically, it's... Uh, so, it's it's after he's thinking about perfect crimes, then Bellatrix says... Uh, or then he, then it's thinking, when Bellatrix's corpse was found in her, dead in her cell the next morning, there within the prison of Azkaban, from which everyone knew no one had ever escaped, nobody bothered doing an autopsy. So nobody thought... No one would think about it twice. They just locked up the corridor and left. And the Daily Prophet would report it as, as an obituary in the, in the obituary column the next day. That was the perfect crime Professor Quirrell had planned. And it wasn't Professor Quirrell who screwed it up. Screwed it. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, it dun, me, uh, dun, That uh, autopsies don't sound very wizardy. No, they don't. There's got to be magical autopsies. But yeah. given what we were described about how they fucking treat people in Azkaban, I'm assuming that they don't even bother doing that. Like, if they just leave their no, phones they, in there until they throw they would, them in the pit, like... You, well, instead of an autopsy, they would do some kind of miracle max shit where they would just, like, wave a wand and then ask them how they died. So... I wonder if there's, cause, I mean, that, that sounds kind of OP, um, even for magic. <laughs> All right. Well, any uh, thoughts or reflections on the first uh, or these last three chapters? I think I was like half asleep as I was reading it, because uh, as we're talking about it, I'm like, oh, there's a lot of like, I mean, it was, so it was cool. I really like that. This was like, it was swashbuckling. Actually, no, that's the wrong, that's the wrong vibe. It was very uh, Mission Impossible, which was cool. Um, and very tense, like it got the feel, the the feeling of being in Azkaban felt like like this, you know, pressure of them, and like really are, that they are in this like bubble that Harry is able to hold up and better, you know, and he better keep holding it up or that it's just going to collapse on them. So it's really good that the way it built the tension. But but as we're talking, like the stuff that's sort of like significant that that was sort of like hinted. I don't, I don't maybe I'm just like reading way too much into it, but this stuff like it feels like like we're starting to uncover so i'm definitely i'm just maybe maybe i'm wrong but i'm totally sold on uh that quirrell is voldemort but there's but not quite there's something else going going on because of the way he's um the conflicting way he refers to voldemort um as himself but not himself uh and then like uh what are this connection between um 
like the the Voldemort in Harry's head. Um, and so yeah, so lots being like like important things to the uh, to the full story are kind of being implied here. Um, and kind of like big ones. So I think I, I don't know how you could get through this and not think that Quirrell is Voldemort because of just like, well, like, and what's his motivation for being like, why would he want to like, why would we go to all this trouble to, to release um, Bellatrix if she wasn't, you know, his girl? Because um, if she was just some innocent, that's not worth going to all this trouble. Yeah, um, it seems like a lot of trouble yeah. to go through even even if you're like a nice person who wants to help people yeah. this is you know if you're and, going to maximize and, the amount of good you can do with this much effort you could help a lot more people yeah and quarrel is not the guy that does that anyway um, no if if i'm putting myself in quarrel's shoes like and i and, I'm, and i'll be honest like when i'm reading this uh, uh through you know when i was reading this my first time you know i didn't like keep a, a good measure or anything but um like I, I'm sure my 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 sliding meter of like Voldemort, not Voldemort, went closer to Voldemort during this. Like, so if I'm trying to be generous and think of like, all right, why would a not Voldemort but obviously dark person do this? And it's like, well, mm-hmm. you know, maybe maybe Bellatrix is valuable in other ways. Um, yeah. It. I guess you could think that like Quirrell is you know like a Peter Pettigrew. It doesn't feel like I, that's the other theory that totally doesn't you know seem like it fits but that like i guess just fits the on paper could fit that he's just that so yes he is a death eater and one of the bad guys and a very powerful bad guy but not the bad guy oh and he's, all, and he's but, getting her for yeah. like the resurrection recipe or so or your but, but for what there could be any number of reasons but he's he's not voldemort doing it he's doing it for voldemort um that would sort of fit it doesn't feel it doesn't fit like just story-wise significance to have quarrel just be somebody's you know punk um, it's certainly yeah I, I see what you're getting at that, like, that is that takes that is all the boxes how, for like how like how that could work but it's not a very good story <laughs> but yeah i feel yeah it would be interesting if if he was peter pettigrew and I, I, what I, meant, her... I didn't mean like peter pettigrew but just like you know the goon if he's just the goon then oh i see yeah well i mean that's all i meant by peter pettigrew yeah. yeah so then if he was the the insert for the goon and you remember in what was it book four where part of the ritual to resurrect Voldemort was like flesh of a he's servant cut off his hand. Yeah. And yeah, so, he's got to cut off his hand. Well, yeah. So he cut off his hand or whatever, but I'm assuming that like the more devoted, the servant, the powerful, the spell, right? In fact, that, that was mm. the case in book four because that's why they wanted Harry and not just any of Voldemort's random enemies. Oh yeah. So eh, yeah. something to think about. Yeah. Yep. And then the other thing that I don't, and so the, there's like still unresolved in my head, this, what there's something different about the Voldemort in Harry's head thing. Um, I don't know what to make of that yet, but that's what that's the other thing. Like the, the ease with which Harry imitated Voldemort and the like total plausibility to everybody that uh, Harry could pretend to be Voldemort. Um, I don't know. It, it is unsettling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. We'll see what happens with it. It should be yep. no doubt very interesting. Hopefully. If it turns out to be super boring, you'll get your money back. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's all I got for these chapters then. Um, for... we gotta, we got to kill like another 45 minutes. Uh, we're, we're running short. I don't know. It'll have to be three hours. I think, <laughs> I think a tight tight two hours is good. Tight two hours. Um, that's good. No, I like this. It's like, I like the tone change. Uh, the pacing is um, cool. And yeah, it's like advancing significant plot issues. 
Yeah. No, I agree. This, these are, uh, like, you know, the, the story's had some of its own, like, coming into its own moments already. Yeah. But this is, like, the the most radical departure yeah. uh, so far. And now it's like, all right, cool. We're not even pretending that this is the old story anymore. Yeah, um, yeah I'm, I love it. And it's, it's, it's not just because they're doing stuff that never happened and it's so far from the kind of thing that would happen. It's that it feels so different. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, these characters are totally totally different yeah absolutely so yeah i as far as next week i was thinking um for 54 55 and 56 but we are recording this uh late later than usual so are you up for three chapters worth of reading in the next three days uh sure yeah the reading's never yeah reading's not the hard part it's finding time to sit in front of a microphone for three hours yeah that's a good point that's the, that's the hard part yeah. Oh, that reminds um, me. Yeah. No. I mean, does it fit? Does that fit well as you know, as far as, far as how much plot goes by? That's the it, bigger thing. It's always hard to say because, like, sometimes you'll find the smallest things to talk about for fifteen minutes, and then other things, it's yeah. like, yeah, that was a lot, but yeah, two minutes of, of summarizing, and we're good to go. So, what I'm going by, just so you know, there are times where I'm pretty sure this will work, and it so far, I think we've managed to get episodes fairly consistent in length, which works out well. Yeah. So. Um, when I when I don't have a good intuition for it, I just fall back on word count, and that this is fifteen hundred or fifteen thousand words, which is about uh, two um, chapters of Ward, which is two hours on uh, We've Got Ward. So, which reminds me, if anyone's been putting off on reading Ward until Ward is wrapped up, uh, first off, you're missing all the fun of waiting f- frustrated twice a week for a new chapter to come out. Um, but also, you'll be waiting for very uh, for not much longer. Uh, we are in epilogue in Ward, and uh, we've got Ward will be wrapping up shortly after that. So, um, this... I hate when I'll find like a new comic book series, and I'll like really like it, and I'll read it, and then I'll be like, I won't know when I started it that it's still going on, and it has like another eighteen months before it'll be done. I'm like, God damn it! Yeah, it's I, it, at least with Ward, there's regular updates. It's interesting yeah. looking at the release schedule, which um, somebody on Discord sent me for this. It might have been Cron actually, who we had on for that retro. Um, I don't know who put this together, but it's a, it shows the chapter, uh, number, the date that it came out. Um, and then like how many pages that chapter is and, uh, what percentage we are through the book and stuff. And the, let's see, chapters 51, 52, 53, I'm sorry, whatever, 52 through 54 all came out on the same day. And then two more came out on Halloween. And then like, Mm. it's just like, it sucks because then down the road, like between 2010 and 2011 was like most of the book. Um, and then it didn't finish up until 2015 because it just there were like there was like one chapter or one year. We got like one chapter <laughs> and I was I, I can't remember at what point I caught up to the book. It might have been around here. Um, no, it would have been after this because this is well, it doesn't matter. At some point I was waiting months and months and then occasionally a year between chapters and so that was rough. Uh, the good thing with Ward is, and Worm and, and really everything that Wildbo does is that it doesn't do that. He writes on a schedule, and so you can count on twice weekly updates. And uh, it just occurs to me, though, looking at the release schedule for these, that it, I'm sure that when writing this, Eliezer didn't interpret burnout or didn't anticipate burnout. Um, yeah. But if he, ha- if he had, like, just staggered the release of chapters and said, all right, I'm going to release once a week yeah. or twice a week, then like the ones that came out all on the same day could have bought him a month of, of writing ahead. Yeah. But maybe something about like the pressure of like, well, I got to keep going. Well, no, because he didn't have a consistent, consistent, consistent schedule. I'm not sure. 
He probably just thought he was a girl. And also, I mean, maybe it didn't bother him to... It's like, eh, whatever. I, I think I do recall... You're not he, paying me. He, he would publish out, like, occasional <laughs> author's notes and say, look, I'm trying, like, just the... It was just, I think, basically writer's block and, like, writer's fatigue. Mm-hmm. Um, he did have the whole, like, plot lined up in his head, but I'm not a writer, but I'm given to understand that there's a difference between having, like, an outline and having, like, enough to fill a book. Mm-hmm. And so I think it was... Like at the beginning, it's like a great, and, you know, he wrote this long essay on, on why he wrote it, but it's very spoilery, so you can't read it. Um, and it, it's, uh, it's worth checking out. I think it's, um, I think if you Google Eliezer Yudkowsky hero licensing, you could find it. Uh, but not you, Brian, I'm talking to the listeners, so <laughs> you can read it later. Other you. Yes. The Royal you, our dear listeners who, which reminds me, if you guys are having fun and want to support this podcast and the game club do the right thing uh media md i can't list them all uh doofcast we've got ward uh kingslingers which just got plugged actually by not by not one of the doof people on uh r slash books that's their uh their stephen king uh dark tower series podcast cool we get more we get more patrons i don't know um i honestly don't keep track of any of that it's not my job. It's one of the several thousand jobs that Scott does running this company. Um, Matt plays a big part too, but I think Scott does a lot of the heavy lifting. So um, Scott does the not fun things. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a lot of work. I it, yeah. it is surprising. And that's why I'm grateful. And that's why I have no shame plugging. Like, by the way, throw them a buck. This isn't just for us. This goes to everybody who participates here. So like I said, um, if you like this sort of thing, I honestly think they do a lot of stuff uh, – not that I'm shitting on us, but they do it really well. And uh, <laughs> we, we do it okay. I have, a good t- I have a great time doing it. I wouldn't be here if I didn't. But um, they, they're the pros. So, I mean, frankly, if this is the only doof, po- doof podcast you're listening to, you're doing yourself a disservice. Um, That's true. Read Worm, read Ward, uh, read Pact, listen to Deep Impact, even though that one's done. Um, or when in doubt, if you just want to get a feel for what they're like, just go to the the Doofcast podcast. Grab an episode of theirs and check it out. Kick in a buck, or I'm going to start talking about Slap Chop or your mutual fund. <laughs> I will uh, be sure to plug when uh, I know the release date for Game Club, which I asked Elliot yesterday when he was actually streaming Hollow Knight. And, uh, oh no, wait, that was today, and he didn't know. So, like I said, sometime in the next week after this comes out. So, that'll be a lot of fun too. And with that, I think we're going to call it a night because I'm at that rambly stage. So (laughs) we're going to do 54, 55, and 56 next time. Sounds good. Cool, everybody. Awesome.